This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 221 on a Monday night, May 22nd, 2023. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Family owned and operated for more than two decades, Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service, growing from a one man shop to a team of 23 professionals. My bad. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen eventually. It's my a, fault. A team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you are interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue out in Berry Hill. Give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. Gentlemen, how are we feeling? Are we doing Okay. Uh, I, I think this might be the best day in the history of Vanderbilt Athletics. This is one of the best days of my life. I can't even lie right now. Keep I've literally I gotta put my glasses on real quick. <laughs> I have I have been on cloud nine since I don't even know when the news dropped, but the, the vibes are electric. The hits just kept on coming in the best way possible. Like every time we say that waiting on the other shoe to drop, it always means bad news. Today yeah. it meant good news. Robbie Weinstein just wanted to watch Twitter burn today and demanded <laughs> demanded we do a space. That was the thing about it. Like it it felt like it all happened literally within an hour. Dude, he like was just that, like bang, 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 bang. It was crazy. And I feel like Robbie had a say in that. Like Robbie controls the the pulse and feelings of animal fans, I think, more than anyone. So uh, but no, we'll talk to Robbie about that. We've got three guests today. Uh, we're previewing the SEC baseball tournament with Joe Healy from D1Baseball.com. Joey Dwyer is going to check in. Uh, it's check the chat. Check the chat, Billy. Have a good guest. Stop. Wait, why are we checking the chat? Just look who, look who, look. On Twitter? They need yes. your money and your mustache. Yes, run my bank account right now. My card's connected. Take whatever you guys need. Oh, is that Anchor Impact? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh! Heck, may, they might join a little bit later too. But no, Joey Dwyer. Question mark. <laughs> Joey Dwyer and Robbie Weinstein will check in. Uh, Joey at about seven fifteen. Robbie Weinstein at seven thirty. I feel like we're running a talk show or something, boys. But here we go. Seven o'clock. Uh, TDR after dark. We got to get to a lot of our opinions though first. We got Joey coming up. The insiders. So we got to kind of scramble here before we do. We got so much to get to. Get to before we do. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Door underscore report 
and Instagram, door.report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're live there right now. Our podcast is available on Anchor, not Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, boys. Let's start with football. I know we got a lot of basketball and probably mostly basketball we want to we want to get into, but Prince Kali has come home. Prince Kali, the linebacker transfer from Notre Dame, a four-star recruit out of high school. Uh, he said in this uh, tweet from Pete Nakos, the guy that broke the story, he said, I've heard from just about every school. I've had to weigh my options, but I came to the decision to go to Vandy. Obviously, Clark Lee recruited him to Notre Dame. Uh, he's an East Tennessee native. We've talked, we've already talked so much about Prince Kali, but guys, it's official. And Will, that linebacker room, as we've talked about, is starting to look pretty scary. That front seven. The front seven in mm -hmm. general on that defense is starting to look like it could be pretty formidable this fall. And it's not just the first few guys. It looks like it might have depth. And that's what we've talked about episode after episode after episode is what holds Vanderbilt football back. It's not the first guys. It's not the first string or Clark Lee, Derek Mason, James Franklin, whoever it is, Bobby Johnson, getting in first string talent that can compete in the SEC. We've seen that. It's getting in those second, third string guys. And man, Prince Kali's not a second or third string guy. I mean, this is a stud coming over. Billy, I think you said it a couple episodes ago. He's not a replacement for Orgy, but he's about as close as you can get yeah. to a replacement. And he's going to pair very well uh, with CJ Taylor returning, Ethan Crisp. Uh, I'm missing a bunch of guys. Ethan Kane Barr. Patterson. Oh, man. Yeah. The list goes on and on. The depth at linebacker, and that's not even mm. getting to this defensive line, that if they can remain healthy, unlike Miles last Capers. season, Davion Davis, uh, Miles Capers, this could be a front seven unlike Vanderbilt has ever had. So I, the team, I, I would guess, Will, I, in your mind? Oh, absolutely. I mean, by that far. and I think the receiving core. I wouldn't say by far because I think the receiving it's group close. on the offensive side of the ball – that Vanderbilt has probably outside of the Jordan Matthews, Jonathan Kraus, Chris Boyd uh, roster, mm -hmm. which was just outstanding. I mean, that's yeah. going to be hard to ever top. This yeah. is probably the most talent that you've seen at once uh, on a Vanderbilt mm -hmm. offense. If AJ Swan can put it together in that running back group, man, yeah. you're starting to get me real excited. <laughs> real excited like for that. I was already as, about as excited as I can get for that Hawaii tailgate. <laughs> and this just builds it up anymore. It's going to be a zoo. The Nashville zoo at lot two, baby. Wait, what was really? that, Trevor? Hey, yeah, Vandy 62. Shout out to him. 18 and a half point favorites. Wow. Uh, as of right That's now, it's the last time. When's the I, last it's gonna, time? It's going to go up. It's going to go up. I mean, and, and too, like last year, whenever you were sort of breaking down the football roster, there was a lot of question marks. But I think even last year, you were like, okay, like the strength of the team is going to be the linebacker group. Um, and now that you lose Anthony, and I don't, I don't like, like we said, we're not, I don't think anybody can replace Anthony, but I mean, Lord, like mm. you got some guys on this raw, on this, it's just in this group in this linebacker group. And I mean, the depth, like Ethan Barr was a starter your, last year and Ethan Barr is, is a great, great player. Ethan mm -hmm. Barr 
like might not be the start, like might not be in the starting rotation. He might be a depth guy. And if yeah. Ethan Barr is a depth guy for you, I mean, goodness. But That's pretty impressive. I mean, Prince Kali, I think just just having a talent like that. I mean, whenever he tweeted out his photos, and if you haven't watched any of his high school tape or some of his like limited Notre Dame tape, if you just look at his body, like if you just look at photos of him, you're like, yeah, this guy's a he's a football player. This guy's yeah. a football player. So man, I mean, what a day to be a Commodore. What a day! I, I just don't want to. I, I just don't want to graze over because we did. We did hit on Prince Collie last episode because it felt like mm-hmm. it was a done deal and just figuring yeah. out the scholarship situation at that point. But he was a top hundred player in the country according yes. to twenty four seven Sports coming out of high school. So he was only a three star in whatever transfer portal rankings they have. But this was a four or five star guy coming out of yeah, high school. Yeah, five stars some services. This is not the kind of guy that typically ends up at Vanderbilt. So this is a different level of natural athleticism, talent, how they would grade out in scouts' eyes. So I'm not trying to dismiss like the other guys that were on this roster, but similar to kind yeah. of Kane Patterson. Uh, he was a four-star coming out of high school as well. We'll see how it shapes out uh, if he can remain healthy, which is what kind of held him back. But, yeah. man – this linebacking core, dude. I, I just cannot get over how dominant it potentially could be. Yeah, and Kali seems like best. he seems like a guy that f- just fits perfectly, right? I don't mm-hmm. know that that he's gonna be, you know, some sort of game wrecker, you know, like an Anthony Orgy, but he feels like he can be sort of at least at the first half of the season, um, you know, sort of an Anthony Orgy light. You know, get used to the defense. He already uh, he already knows the Clarkley defense. I mean, he yeah. he doesn't have to you know, get used to really much. I'm sure there's slight differences between Notre Dame and Vanderbilt, how Clark mm-hmm. Lee coached. But, I mean, guys, it, it, more than anything, it just feels like a perfect fit where he can walk in and perform, you know, and and, and really just, you know, just work, get to work. HMD Sports yeah. Blog feels like a massive shift in football is happening if we get more dudes than positions to play them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Will, you mm-hmm. talk you about You can it, never that, have too much depth in the SEC, no. especially and, on defense. Yeah, and that's always been the problem, right? Derek Mason's defense. What year was that? I mean, the the, the stud defense was that the K State year, where Vander? I mean, Vanderbilt was as dominant as anybody. Or even the year before that. Was it the year before I, that? They I think broke, it was like, the year all the Woody records. Yeah, I think it was the year before that. And and uh, yeah, but you know, late in the season, they just weren't as effective because they didn't have that sort of second line of defense where you have that depth. And, you know, if you if you can find a way to have some of that this year, all of a sudden, you know, the defense, you don't have to worry about as much. Because we talked about the corners. Guys, we, we've talked about the struggles in, 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 with the safety and the secondary. Uh, but all of a sudden, Trev, you know, you've got some help in the linebacker room that I think will also help the secondary. Won't put as much pressure, yeah. pressure on them. Well, and, and shout out to, to Shelby Waddle. I believe that's his first name on Twitter. Um, he, he commented, he made a, he made a comment. He's like, get mm-hmm. the running back room nailed down and get the secondary nailed down. I do think that that, and, and I don't want to dampen the mood, but obviously with Richard gone, that, that mm-hmm. sideline DP yeah. is obviously a glaring hole. With that being said, a way that you can inadvertently improve your secondary or at least take a load off them is by beefing up that front seven. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there's you hear all the time like uh covered or not you hear covered sacks all the time, but sometimes you hear like what helps the what helps the secondary the most is having a ferocious front seven. And so maybe that can take a load off them. I'd hope so. Um I, I would still 
I don't even want to think about the secondary right now. Is it the the weakness? Yeah, I honestly yeah, don't. George care right Harwell now. Harwell chimed in and said, "Need to fix. Need to figure out the cornerbacks." That's dude. Plug that, Trudell Barry in there and let's ride. That's that's sort of my <laughs> vibe right now. Put Trudell in there and let's ride. So Prince Collie, it, it's CJ Taylor. It's CJ Taylor. I mean that he is the more depth and athleticism you get in front of CJ Taylor playing that kind of hybrid linebacker safety position within this Derek Mason defense. And you're just adding more and more Derek Mason. Good God. Clark Lee. We said Derek Mason's name too much. I tweeted out the uh, live and said, let's ride. And now he's stuck in my head. I'm going to have nightmares about Derek Mason. Intellectual brutality. Relentless, Relentless, tough, and tough and intelligent. R T I. That describes me. I have one of those shirts. I got it at, I got it at the discount sale. I got a bunch of those shirts for a dollar at the Vanderbilt uh, clearance sale. Relentless, so tough, awful. and intelligent. Oh, we need to but, figure uh, out. Let, let's just forget what I was even talking about, and let's just move <laughs> on because I just made that mistake. So it also wasn't too, too important. Before we get back, this is I kind of want to hit on hit on this a little bit. HMD, I thought he brought up a great point. This is the first time in a long time that even with Prince Collie, you factor him in because he's obviously a huge factor that you have a Vanderbilt football team. That's got some dudes on it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there's always been some Vanderbilt teams to where like, they don't have dudes, but like they've got a couple guys who you're like, yeah, he can go play like the Zach Cunningham years. Like wasn't a ton of NFL talent, but you're like, Zach Cunningham can play the yeah. Chris Marv years. You're like, Chris Marv can play not an NFL talent mm-hmm. though. But you're like, he's a guy. Yeah. On this defense, man, you got you got guys who you're like Vanderbilt football's got some boys on defense. Mm-hmm. You have Prince Collie now, and he hasn't even suited up in for Vanderbilt practice yet. You got Prince Collie. You obviously know what you have with CJ Taylor. You already, I mean, I think um I think Darren Agu is gonna take a big step forward. Mm-hmm. Altara, I always up. butcher his last name. He didn't even get any barely got any playing time last yeah. year. And that and last year's fall ball, they're like, this guy looks like an NFL tackle. So you got Miles Capers before he got injured, they were like Miles Capers was the best player on defense by far. Mm-hmm. And so you got guys on this team that we haven't even really seen yet. And they're yeah. like, Yeah, no, like these boys can play. Yeah. So I mean, just on the defense, I mean, goodness. Yeah, it, I know we have uh, guests. I know we have guests upcoming. I know we have guests coming up soon. I just have to say, Ray Davis in that backfield on this roster right now. I mean, you'd be looking at this entire roster outside of the secondary that we fit on and saying this is about as set as, yeah. of, a, of a roster that you can possibly mm-hmm. have with yeah. Vanderbilt football. That is still the most mind-boggling transfer decision that I've seen in the portal so far. And there have been a lot. I know it's money. I'm sure it was, but still, I mean, my <laughs> God, I, I get yeah. it. I get it. It is what it is. He's a running back graduate transfer. Have to cash in when he can, but still yeah. he could have been the key. It is, I, I'm with you. Will. That offense. Yeah. I'm with you. It is still mind boggling, you know, to, to kind of think about that, but coach Waddell on Twitter, stopping the run will help hard to get RPO'd when you can't do the R part, right? When you can't run the ball. Right, offensively, when Vanderbilt stops the run, you stop the run, you win. Right, it's the old saying in football: you win the trenches, you win the ball game. I got to stop the run this year, boys. Um, Okay, you win the ball game. (laughs) All right, we got to get to Joey Dwyer. We're talking a little Vandy basketball. Of course, we're going to sprinkle our opinions in. This is the first time we're getting to um, any anything uh, involving Vanderbilt basketball as we uh, bring. Joey Dwyer from VandySports.com into uh, our airwaves on the Doorport. Joey, how's it going, my man? Good. How are you guys? Good to join you. 
Doing great. Joey, we, we haven't even gotten any basketball yet. And I, I want to start with not Tyron Lawrence, but get this first prospect uh, out of the way. Let me find his name. Tassos Kamateros from Athens, Greece, has landed at Vanderbilt, a 6'8", 240-pound forward who averaged 13 points and six rebounds last season for South Dakota. Joey, tell us about this guy. Yeah, it's a really nice get. And, uh, of course, I start my summer job today, and Twitter just – Goes nuts in the three hours I'm gone. <laughs> All summer, I'm twiddling my thumbs, doing nothing. And today, Prince Kali commits, Comisteros commits, and this is a this is a big gift for Vanderbilt. Welcome I don't know the summer. Biggest bet I'm moving, but um, it's a nice depth pickup. It's a guy who can really shoot it, and I think that's what Vanderbilt was missing in terms of their five men. Dort and Lubin can't really shoot. I think Lubin can shoot it a little bit better than Dort. Shot 11 threes at Notre Dame, though, and I'm sure he's capable of more than that based on what I saw on the circuit. Uh, a few summers ago, but it's a nice gift for Vanderbilt. Um, adds a lot of things that they didn't have in the front court. And I think when you look at bigs like this, uh, who can step out and shoot it like that, having a guy like Ezra Mignon and having the other complementary pieces uh, in that backcourt are really helpful. And uh, I think also his passing ability is what stood out to me when I saw his tape. Um, and you, if you have guys like Evan Taylor and Colin Smith on the wing, and then some of those freshmen who can shoot it a little bit, like Jason mm. Rivera Torres, uh, that can be really helpful. I think, one of the Mike Brayisms I picked up on while covering Notre Dame was that you don't want your uh, possessions to only end in the big's hands. You want to keep the ball moving. And I think he does a really nice job with that. Uh, I'm a little concerned about his defense and um, just some of, I think Lubin and Dort are a lot more capable athletically. And uh, Lubin, I think can get away with being six, eight, a little more at a power five than uh, the South Dakota transfer can. I long day. I can't, for some reason, can't remember the last, the last day. There's, there's been a few br- uh, headlines. Gosh. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, really nice get for Vanderbilt. I don't know that he'll be the starting big. I think I still like Lubin a little bit better. I think he's more of a complete package. But um, I don't think that Lubin will be their leading scorer in the front court per se. I think he may do the most things for them, but he may not be their, their alpha scorer down there, I think. Um, it's really nice kind of how they've diversified the front court. When you lose a guy like Liam Robbins, uh, kind of have to do that because you can't replace him with one guy. And uh, I think Vanderbilt did a nice job with that. All right, Joey. I'm going to send it over to Will and Trevor here in a second and get my stupid questions out of the way. But my, my fill in the blank here for me. Tyron Lawrence coming back means blank for Vanderbilt basketball next season. It means a lot. It means hope. <laughs> Uh, means that Vanderbilt can be competitive in this era of college basketball, and we weren't sure that they could do that. I think I counted on the space with you guys and that that he went in the portal, and I was like, how do you yeah. win if you can't compete in the way that the other schools are competing? And Vanderbilt has shown now that it can compete that way and uh, that Tyron Lawrence is uh, a guy that they can prioritize, and when they put the full-court press on him, they can get him. And I'm not sure that I was confident that Vanderbilt can do that a few weeks ago, and I don't know if anyone really would have been confident that Vanderbilt could do that a few weeks ago. This isn't just a 2023-2024 thing. This is a program – this says something about this program that uh, I'm not sure that we could have said a while back. Assuming they land Lawrence, I'll let him make the <laughs> announcement himself, but uh, assuming they land Tyron Lawrence, this would be program-altering in my mind and uh, certainly puts Vanderbilt in the nice position to at least be on the bubble of the NCAA tournament this year. Joey Dwyer, VandySports.com. Will – what you got for him? So I know 
that Tyron Lawrence is number one on everybody's mind, but I'm going to hit on this freshman class a little bit because I think they've been lost in the shuffle, especially by us. We've barely even talked about the guys in the freshman class. I don't know how familiar you are really with the guys coming in, but who do you see that can actually make an impact on the court in this freshman class? And then we'll touch a little more on, on the Lawrence impact on that. Hey, I love talking about recruiting. I love the question. Um, I think Isaiah West is going to give them a lot this year. He's the local guy, the guy everybody hears about. Um, and I think it's for good reason. Maybe he won't give you as much as Ezra or Tyron will year one, but I think he's a capable ball handler, can play both guard spots, uh, has a nice edge about him defensively. I really like Isaiah West and what he can bring as a freshman. Uh, I think the guy I might be highest on long-term is Jason Rivera-Torres. I think he can really play. Um, and I don't know how much it's going to translate as a freshman because some of those wings who um, – I don't know if he needs to fill out as much as some other wings that I've covered, but a lot of those guys take a little bit of time, but I think his upside is really, really high right now. He's better off two or three bounces and off the catch a little bit, but he can really get to his spots in the mid range. He can rise up and hit shots. Um, he can finish around the rim. He's capable there. Um, JQ Roberts, I think is a guy who can give them some things. Just Jerry Stackhouse. When I asked him about JQ Roberts, said he's one of the better athletes they've ever recruited and they haven't recruited an athlete like him in the past I think um I'm still kind of in wait and see mode on how far he is in his development Uh, I think it's hard to tell right now based on his high school season and the competition he played but he can maybe give him something with the athleticism and then Carter Lang I think I would have been a little more optimistic on before today's commitment uh that he could give them something this year I think that probably tells you that uh, he's a little bit buried on that depth chart but he's versatile um he's also a good passer and I think he could be a really nice player as well and then uh, Malik Presley is also a guy with freakish athleticism uh, that I think Vanderbilt fans are really like. Had some big offers and uh, actually late recruitment. Uh, for some reason, we found out that he was on a visit at Hawkins Field one night uh, when I was there. And I just walked around the halls for about an inning just trying to see if he was anywhere. And uh, we found him. So and also Vanderbilt got him a few days later. So that was a that was a cool story and a, a nice commitment for Vanderbilt. But. To answer your question, sorry, I went a little long. I know we're on a time crunch. I think uh, Isaiah West will probably give them a lot this year, and then Rivera Torres will give them some things as well. I'm sure Trevor's got a question here, and I want to swing it over to him, but we're getting some questions about that sick backdrop. I was going to bring it up too. So uh, is that your backdrop? Because it's being said that that's the backdrop of a 55-year-old sports writer, and and you look (laughs) just a a couple years younger than that right now. Adam Schefter-esque. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I need a backdrop like you guys have. This is my dad's <laughs> office, actually. I uh, just came back home, so it's a little different than the regular <laughs> setup, but I'm glad that people like it. Maybe I'll come back here for uh, some future podcasts. No, you see, Joey, <laughs> we don't have as good of a backdrop as you, so we superimpose Vanderbilt Stadium or the Hog yeah. or whatever. So. I'm just a big like, plain like, white wall. It's like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in, house- in an insane asylum. I'm house sitting for my folks right now. So like behind me is just like a fridge. So I don't think it's better than yours, Joey, but oh, Joey, what a day, man. What a day. I'll, I'll ask you this. So going back to the four and the five position, assuming which it looks like it's going to happen. Our sweet, sweet boy, Tyron Prince is coming. They're tired. Tyron Lawrence. I, I said Tyron Prince. I'm thinking of Prince Collie too. That's how absolutely like f- like fried my brain is right now. L- assuming Ty comes back, which it looks like he will be, does the four and the five position even need to 
contribute offensively that much, assuming that the backcourt is going to be as good as we think it's going to be. Like, I, you obviously don't want them to go out and, like, no disrespect to QMB. Like, you don't want them to put up, like, four points a game. You obviously need a little bit more offensive contribution. But do they really have to be that good, considering how good Vanderbilt's backcourt's going to be? Yeah, I had this conversation on the board a while back, and I think it's a really valid one in this age of the sport because it's obviously a guards game nowadays. Um, I think what's most important in that front court nowadays is rebounding and shot blocking and what you can do defensively down there. And once in a while, having a safety blanket to throw it down to in the post. Um, I think the benefit for Vanderbilt is that backcourt, obviously, like you said. And uh, originally I thought they were going to have a really hard time replacing Liam Robbins, and for good reason. That's a top 10, 15 big man in college basketball. There's not many Liam Robbins, but what I grew to realize, you probably don't need a Liam Robbins. You just need a guy who is capable. And uh, I think Vanderbilt has three guys who can all give them somewhat different things. I think Van Allen Lubin's going to give them some good things just in terms of rebounding and Lee Dork obviously do a lot shot blocking wise, but um, Comateros I think is going to give them some good things as well on the perimeter and passing wise. So, they really have three guys who I think commentators is a little different than the other two. I think those two are a little more similar. And then Carter Lane is more similar to uh commentators, but there's a lot of good things that this front court does. I don't know that they do them as well, but uh, to answer your question in a little bit of shorter form, no, I don't think you need as much offensively out of the front court as you otherwise would have. Um, if you hadn't got Tyron Lawrence back, I know that wasn't the question. I'm just tired, so I'm rambling. But uh. <laughs> I will. I'll ask. I'll ask you one more thing, and this might be the most obvious question in the world: Is this four and five position an upgrade over what Vanderbilt had towards the end of the season with QMB last year? I would say so. Yeah, I think I'm yeah. a little concerned about it, but uh, I think there's three guys who can all do good things, and three guys who can all do. Uh, different things. And I think it kind of goes back to what I had thought in the preseason last year is if Liam Robbins is getting the most minutes, uh, then you're in a really good spot. I think if Venno and Lubin and Lee Dort are playing a lot of minutes, that means they're farther along in their development than maybe some people had thought. And this team has a much higher ceiling. I think Lee Dort has a high ceiling out of anybody in this front court. And uh, the good thing though, is you don't need any of those guys in or I think they have good enough depth where they don't need any of those guys to be tremendous. They just need all those guys to give them certain things and kind of pitch into the hole. Joey, yeah. we got a couple more here. We got about a few minutes till we get to Robbie, but you know, Vanderbilt basketball, let's face it, has been on a roller coaster ride these, you know, these past, I don't know, five, six months, you know, the the second half of the season, the postseason, you know, seven players entering the portal. How much does Tyron Lawrence change that perception in your mind? Because for us, when Tyrants and like you said, you joined the spaces, you know, we were, I mean, it was doomsday, right? I mean, it was, it, it was pretty negative from, from everybody. Uh, because and that he was, was the less one, than a month ago. <laughs> yeah. And he was the one guy that we said from the beginning, if Vanderbilt keeps Tyron Lawrence, the ship's still, still sailing, right? But if Tyron, Tyron Lawrence enters the portal, that ship is sinking. So, how much does him coming back? I mean, are you back to the, you know, sort of the beginning of the offseason before everybody transferred? Or, you know, are, are you kind of, you know, sort of in, somewhere in the middle? Oh, I think, uh, I think this is huge for them. I think I'm about back to where 
I was heading into this off season to where you're looking at a legitimate chance at an NCAA tournament and a, a legitimate step for this program. I think Tyron Lawrence was kind of the missing piece. Uh, and I think if they can get Tyron Lawrence back there in a really solid spot to make some noise, and uh, that's one of the better backcourts in the league. And it also tells you a lot about the program's infrastructure. I think when you look at kind of the sum of what they had lost, the numbers look big, but when you replace Jordan Wright with Evan Taylor, um, when you get the guys that they've got in the freshman class, I think this team really stacks up nicely compared to what they had last year and has a chance to make some real noise. And like you said, the narrative, I think on this team is completely flipped. Uh, I'm completely flipped from that. Uh, I don't consider myself an emotional guy, but I'm completely <laughs> flipped from where I was in either. Yeah, I think Trevor's absolutely ra- absolutely rational thoughts only from from the three of us. Yeah, I'm always <laughs> very no 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 emotion whatsoever. With oh, that no. being said, the doors are back, and that's back. not an emotional. <laughs> so that is based in fact and logic. The doors are back. You sound like me with the Cubs every two nights. <laughs> hey, I think my Joey, favorite screw, thing. Screw your Cubs. I hate the Cubs. <laughs> I the masculine go Reds. My favorite graphic on Twitter is the one Jalen tweeted yesterday of you. Oh, Commodores. <laughs> yes. Yes. That looks like he whipped it up pretty quick, too. Yeah, he just beautiful. All of it. <laughs> Joey, thanks again, man. We got to get to Robbie. But again, uh, enjoy your summer uh, as you begin it. And uh, sick office, man. We, uh, we're, we're pretty jealous of you. Jealous. <laughs> I'll tell my dad. And uh, I'll come on next time less tired so I can pronounce the names properly. <laughs> there you go. Hey, thanks, Joey. the rest of us. <laughs> All right, that's Joey Dwyer, uh, obviously from VandySports.com. Let's hop into Robbie Weinstein. It's uh, 7.30. Guys, we're doing a good job of staying on, ta- on task here on time. Robbie, Robbie from, <laughs> from uh, Vandy247. Uh, it was a big uh, explosion of, of Vanderbilt news today. Robbie, I said at the outset, first of all, first off, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I said at the beginning that you had some control over the – the news breaking and when it broke uh how much control did you have over the the swoon of information today a lot or was it just like <laughs> <let's laughs> no I, I, I mean i, I kind of had an idea a pretty good idea for a few days that tiger Lawrence is going to come back it was just kind of at what point is you know i didn't i honestly didn't hear anything new today um it was almost sort of what i didn't hear like people stopped talking yeah. And, you know, it's like, I'm pretty sure he's decided and everybody's sitting on this so that he can announce. Uh, so um, I was like, I might as well throw in the CV now. There you go. So no, so it was what people weren't saying as opposed to what the other things you might have heard or or were expecting yeah. here. I think, I think my guess, and this is just from covering recruiting for a while, I think nobody at, at Vandy probably wants to screw it up at this point. Um, I don't know if he's even specifically told them that he's coming back, uh, but, um, you know, I don't think like an announcement is imminent. I don't think it's going to happen during the show or like tomorrow, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I think he's coming back. I'm sure Will and Trevor are going to get more into Tyron, but just today, today in general, right? Prince Kali, uh, Tosas, I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name from, from Greece, but I mean, he commits, 
Have you seen a day like this? I mean, you, you know, you went to Vandy, right? You've covered Vandy for a good bit now. Have you seen ever seen a day like this news-wise in the offseason, really? I mean, it's not football season. It's not basketball season. This is before the SEC baseball tournament. Like, have you ever seen a day like this on, on the beat? I don't know. I was thinking about that earlier. Like, I can't really remember one. I know that on 4th of July, two years ago, they had three football commitments, I think, which really sucked for me because I was trying to, like, have a beer and enjoy my holiday. <laughs> I was at the beach, um, but that wasn't like it was Caleb Coley who ended up and actually Kenzie Paul who both ended up uh, decommitting and somebody else. I can't remember who else. So it was like three three star guys who, uh, you know, it wasn't like this where, um, yeah, you know, nobody, you know, unless you really are into the recruiting stuff, you probably if you were a Vanderbilt fan, you never heard of these guys. Um, whereas today, you know, um, obviously Prince Coley that you know, it's big and then uh, he's a big name and, you know, you get a, probably a preseason all SEC player back and, and a player who, if you didn't get back, your team's not going to be any good. And if you do get him back, then, you know, like it could change whether Stackhouse is here two seasons from now. Yeah. I, I want to get one more baseball question out real quick. We haven't touched anything on baseball yet. We will. Uh, but wh where, where are the Vandy boys right now, right? They're a four seed in the SEC tournament. Uh, you were there. I'm, I'm pretty sure for the Arkansas series, at least two of them. Um, yeah. How how convincing was that weekend for you, right? Did that prove much to you, or was it, you know, sort of a weekend where Arkansas struggled and Vanderbilt got lucky? I mean, because I'm not saying they got lucky, but, you know, they're at home. So how I guess how much did that prove to you um, as, as a guy that covers Vanderbilt baseball? I mean, I think it's a good sign that they can take two out of three in a series like that against a team like that when they don't have their top two starting pitchers. That's definitely a good sign to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the current team, like, look, they're, they're good at home. It's really tough to win on the road in the SEC. And now they're probably going to get, you know, home games all the way up until the CWS, it looks like, uh, based on winning that, that series against Arkansas. So I, I don't – I didn't see anything that makes me think that they're a national title contender, to be honest with you, unless they get Holton and, you know, Hunter Owen back. But maybe they will. I mean, it sounds like Hunter Owen could come back for the SEC tournament. I kind of suspect that maybe they'll hold him back. But he's he's gonna he's gonna be back this season. Robbie Weinstein from Vandy two four seven. We got Will and Trevor coming up. Will, what you got for Robbie? Robbie, what a day! What a time! We we're always waiting on the other shoe to drop new news. I said it to start out on this that we're always waiting on the bad news for the other shoe. And and today it was just like good news, good news, good news. But running with your crystal ball and assuming Tyron is back, what does this starting five look like for Vanderbilt basketball? I'm assuming that Tassos Comateros, I'm, I might be butchering that last name, will not be in that starting five, but how do you see that playing out for Stack? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think obviously, Magnon and, and Tyron Lawrence, assuming that he does return, uh, obviously will be starting. I think it's really hard to see Colin Smith not starting. Um, I think it's also hard to see Van Allen Lubin not starting because I don't think he's coming to Vanderbilt or sit on the bench. Um, that doesn't guarantee anything. Like, I mean, if he doesn't play well in the preseason, then maybe he'll be on the bench. But uh, so I've got those four. And then I've got Lee Dor, uh starting at center. I mean, he's the only, you know, big dude that they really have. I, I, you know, like a true center. We'll see about Carter Lang, but Stackhouse as we uh, have found out over the last couple of years, doesn't really like to play freshman if he has an alternative. Um, so those are the five that I would go with. I think they'd pro probably prefer to go big. 
uh, at the start of games because um, uh, there's not that many teams in the country that have good, you know, big backup centers who can actually score on you. Uh, and so I, you know, I would have them bring Evan Taylor off the bench as well as Tassos Kamateros, but um, I definitely don't think Kamateros is going to start unless there's like injuries. He's more of a kind of help the bench unit not get killed type of guy who he, he can shoot and he can actually really pass really well out of the post. I think he's a very good pickup, especially this late, but he's a good pickup in like that eighth man role. I, I don't think he's going to be a starter. I mean, he's coming from a very low level of college basketball. Yeah. You kind of just hit on what I was going to be asking next, which is how big of a role do you see him having? And I, a lot of that, honestly, for me, it, I think it depends on if Lee Dort can stay out of foul trouble because yeah, you mentioned yeah. they have freshman Carter Lang and then they have, no one else really. That's it. I mean, yeah. You know, and Lubin six seven six eight as well, a little more athletic. But how, I mean, in the rotation, eighth man, how many minutes do you do you realistically see him getting a game? Yeah, maybe like sixteen to eighteen. I, I think he'll play. And I mean, I think you know what you see with these transfers, and most recently with Ezra Magnon is, look, you know, Ezra Magnon's advanced stats, like in terms of you know the plus minus type of stuff, got way better when he came from UC Davis to Vandy. I think as long as you're moving these guys into smaller roles, they can be good. Like if you're asking Kamateros or uh, even, you know, um, Taylor, like for instance, if you're asking Evan Taylor to be a double digit scorer for you in the SEC, I don't think he's going to be good at that. But if you're asking him to be a spot up guy who averages seven to nine points a game and shoots when he's open and that's about it and stretches the floor, I think he could be great at that. And, and so, um, you know, sometimes you, you look at the stats of these guys coming in or you watch the tape and, and whether it impresses you or not. I, I think, um, you know, Vandy is moving these guys into very clear roles. I feel like another thing here is that they have a like I think one thing that mattered to them is that they feel like these guys will accept those roles. And that um, if Comateros, for instance, gets passed by somebody who's younger than him and better during the season, then he will uh, take it in a good way. Whereas I think, you know, I mean, not to um, drag Miles Studi anymore, but I don't think he handled Colin Smith becoming better than him very well. And he's already left. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just how much Colin Smith is, you know, I think Studi had some great moments, but Colin Smith is a better, better player. Uh, and so, you know, I think, we'll, you know, what I will be interested to see is how, how much, like bringing in a couple grad transfers will help them in the non-conference play. Uh, while, you know, yes. younger guys are maybe growing into roles a little bit, especially like Lubin, uh, because, I mean, they just, they got to, you can't lose to Grambling. Like, you got to win those games this season. Robbie, what a day. <laughs> what a day. That There's that smirk. People in the, people in the <laughs> comments on Twitter are like, that Robbie smirk gets me every single time. <laughs> but here, I, got, I have a couple questions for you, Robbie. First off, Kind of a silly one, but whenever you loaded up the crystal ball on the board today and you were about to send out the tweet and about to make the post, was there a part of you that was like, oh, yeah, this is about to get some clicks? <laughs> like this is like people are like people are about to get a little about to get a little crazy on the Internet right now. I mean, that's why I like waited a while is because I didn't want to like I want to be pretty damn sure, because what if, you know, Texas or somebody comes in with just some massive crazy offer at the last second and, and it flips that I look like an idiot and maybe more than that. Um, it's funny. I sent, I sent a screenshot of like the, uh, uh, the 
back into the website where you put in the crystal ball to mm-hmm. somebody I know, somebody I know from Vanderbilt. This was a couple of days ago, I think. And I was like, uh, should I do it? <laughs> and they said, they said, uh, I think that was when Darian Ford committed to Arkansas yeah, State. Ford went nuclear. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when it was. When I was like, I, so I sent it to somebody who works at Vanderbilt. I was like, should I, should I do it? And they, they said I was re- reading into the Darian Ford thing a little bit too much. Uh, like, for instance, I mean, I do think those things were connected, but, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, before he signed with Arkansas State, like, they could have, you know, approached him and said, all right, well, it turns out Tyler Williams isn't coming, so why don't you, you know, if you want to flip, we want you. Uh, so it wasn't exactly, you know, cause and effect, but there was a correlation. I'll ask you, I got I got two questions. They kind of play into each other. I know you talked about it on the board a little bit, but just sort of give us a little bit more insight on, was there a point in this whole timeline to where, because I, I mean, you've been adamant about it. Every Vanderbilt fan and talking head has been like, whenever he first uh, entered the portal, everybody's like, it's over. Like he's not coming back. Like we've seen this play out way too many times. Like it's over, like put the baby to sleep. At what point in the timeline were you like, Oh, like this is kind of interesting. Like they've like maybe got something going here. Was it like a couple weeks ago or was it maybe like two, three weeks ago? Or like at what point were you like, this is unusual? I think it was more recent than that. It was maybe like a week ago. Um, there, you know, there had been like some rumors at that point, but I talked to some people and they were like, nah, he's, I don't think that's right. I don't think he's coming back. And that was when like, that was when Auburn, that was before Auburn got out of there. So maybe it was like a little bit over a week ago. Uh, and despite, you know, whatever, I don't even know exactly what was out there because I don't really read a lot, um, you know, outside of, of 24 seven. Um, so like, I think like people were like not convinced by it people who, you know, are in the know and like had talked to Tyron Lawrence and, and they didn't, they didn't think he was coming back. Uh, and then, um, uh, then, uh, you know, it just seemed like Auburn, like Auburn, I guess their coaching staff was just like overconfident or something, but they thought they had him. And then at one point, you know, it just like kept going. It, it just kept going and going and going. And he still hadn't committed. There's no reason you can't be at the G League combine and commit. You know, that's fine. There's no reason you can't do that. And, um, you know, some then I think like uh, basically it just started to get out that he had it sounded like he had told you either told Auburn no, or Auburn was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a combination of that. I think initially Auburn was starting to get sick of it and wanting to move on and make sure they didn't get left with nobody. And um, things happened very quickly. I think he told them no and they moved on. And then at that point I was like, Whoa, there's no other sec teams in here. Like the, the buzz immediately was going to stay in the sec. Um, at, at that point I was like, I don't think you, I don't think he's going to go to Texas tech. Like, but I was, um, I wanted to be careful because they Texas Tech is known for having a lot of NIL money. Um, but, uh, you know, as it turned out, I, well, you know, I guess we'll see what happens, but uh, that's, that's about when things started to turn, I think it was like about a week ago, or a little bit over when Auburn started baiting out of there. And, and this is, this might play into the timeline a little bit. You would obviously know more than any of us. Uh, but whenever Tyron 
said that he was entering the portal. We had a spaces and then we had a podcast just absolutely hammering the collective. We're like, there's no way Vanderbilt is ever going to succeed in this sort of NCAA if you don't shell out money. Like if you don't, if your boosters don't come to the table and slap a million dollars on the table and be like, hey, do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, it has been a little bit more promising with Vanderbilt, with Vandy United, the Athletic Village, all the renovations like that. I mean, we don't want to brush that under the table. Like that's been huge for fans because – like everybody knows, First Bank Stadium literally has not been updated in over a hundred or in a hundred years. So, were how shocked were you, just as tapped in as you are, to be like, oh wow, like this collective is—they're not playing around. Like they're they're stepping up there with the big boys. And like you said, Texas Tech is known for having a very very lucrative NIL collective. And the fact that Vanderbilt went toe to toe with people like Texas A and M. I don't know about Auburn. I'm sure I'm, I'd assume yeah, Auburn got a lot of money thrown up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then there was a report, a report today that Kentucky was like tried to, and then they were like got a, basically a stern no that he is like not leaving. And you know that those people will throw out coal mining money at anybody. So at what were you, are you like shocked at all that you're like wow they're like stepping up to the plate with the big boys and going like toe to toe? Yeah. Um, like if you had told me that they can get to that point, you know, I, I would buy that like at, at some point, you know, in the future, in the next couple of years. Like, I don't think the anchor impact fund, I don't think there's like, I mean, they seem to be well run and I, I don't think there's any like issues there. Whereas like the anchor collective, the initial one was kind of slow to get off the ground. And then, you know, actually kind of, I'm going to break some news here. They ran out of money. Um, <laughs> so uh, not shocking at all. Well, I, I think they, I think they, they satisfied the terms of their contracts. They just didn't have any more to, to get beyond that. So now there's only one collective. Um, so they did so not merge. Isn't that correct? Merge. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was thinking the same sort of thing. Okay. Along what Robbie was saying. Yeah. So, the man with uh, the scoops. <laughs> well, but so like, I, I'm not surprised that they can get to that at some point. I did not think it would be this off season. Um, that's for sure. I mean, I had heard, Oh God, like maybe three weeks ago, or maybe like a week after Tyron Lawrence entered the portal. Like initially you heard LSU, Missouri, and then it then it started to be like, oh, like Texas, Miami, Indiana. It's like these are the teams with all the money. And uh, you know, it's it's like one person told me he was like, I think he might get seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars which is crazy. Um, I, I don't think I tend to doubt. I think this is a situation where probably he got in the portal and like people offer, you know, say that they'll give you this much money and then you get in the portal and they don't actually do it. Uh, so I think that was a factor. I don't know how much he's going to get from Vanderbilt. I know that I heard that Texas tech, like all of their scholarship players get hundred, hundred thousand to hundred and thirty thousand dollars. So, um, you know, obviously Tyron Lawrence isn't your average, you know, regular scholarship player. He's, you know, star player in the SEC. So I don't know how much he's going to get, but it's going to be an amount where I'm like, I would not have thought that they'd be able to do that. Like my estimate, and this is really a rough estimate before this, was that um, maybe they, Vandy could do like 100 to 125, maybe. Um, I mean, he's he's definitely going to get about that. I'm not yeah. I'm not sure of the range though. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm really surprised they're able to do that this offseason. It sounds like, you know, an individual donor or two uh, stepped up. You know, I mean, you got to give Vanderbilt credit. They've been behind on a lot of stuff, but, you know, they needed to get it done here or their basketball program was in big trouble and, and they did it. Yeah, it was do or die. 
I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, like Vanderbilt baseball this weekend, it, it was it was do or die. And, and it's incredible what Trevor said about how we were we were pretty negative. I mean, we were hammering the collective. Like we, oh, we were, were killing them. I mean, it, it was and, and rightfully so. But all of a sudden, Robbie, as Trevor said, you see a shift in within Vanderbilt Athletics' NIL collective and their funds and, and everything. Right. I know it can just take one person. It can take a couple of people, but, you know, they contacted the right people and it, they made it happen. Um, so I got one more here for you. I asked Joey a similar question about the roller coaster ride of Vanderbilt basketball. And, and just what, first off, what has it been like to cover Vanderbilt basketball in the last three months or so? Right. The, the end of last season, the early off season with seven guys entering the portal. And now you get all of a sudden Tyron Lawrence potentially coming back. So just chronicle what it's been like covering this team. Can you ever get a read on them? Do you have a read on them right now about what might happen? What still, what still could happen? I mean, there's just, yeah. it's a never ending roller coaster. Yeah, it has been. I mean, I thought coming into the off season, like I had heard that they were going to lose a lot of guys and they, they did lose a lot of guys, but you know, the most important one is coming back uh, after they seem to have lost them. So um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I thought that like going into the off season, they had the potential foundation of an NCAA tournament team. Um, you know, part of that probably would have involved Jordan Wright coming back, which didn't yes. seem likely, but there was at least like a vague possibility. Um, you know, I think like, I think, you know, Evan Taylor could potentially like, there's an outside chance that he could be, you know, 80 or 90% of what Wright was, because I know, you know, Wright didn't have his best season. But I, I think the more accurate comparison is that you're replacing him with, like, Malik Presley, like, you know, probably a, a true freshman, basically. Um, I don't think you need to take five true freshmen when you need to win now, but that's just kind of where they were at in terms of who was available. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's been up and down. Like, I've definitely, depending on what, you know, has been happening with Lawrence or others, you know, I've like sometimes they've looked like they could be pretty good next season. Sometimes it's looked like they're going to be a disaster. I think overall they did quite well, honestly, in the portal. Um, and I mean, they're going to put themselves in a position where they're going to score a ton of points. And if they can get the defense figured out, then they'll have a shot, you know, to make the NCAA tournament. We saw how they played without Liam Robbins at the end of the season. So I don't know that, you know, I mean, it's going to be a huge loss to not have him, but I mean, they won some games without him anyway. Um, I would be really curious, you know, and so some of this is like how much of it was, was stuff that Bandy did versus either good luck or, or, you know, things just happening to come together. I'd be really interested to find out if Ben Allen Lubin got any money uh, because that I think would tell some of the story. They were up against Miami there and Miami is well known. For that, but Miami didn't have a lot of playing time, and so you know, and academics were an actual factor there. So, I mean, I think regardless, like you know, the results are the results, and the roster is going to be pretty solid. So, uh, gotta you know, give Jerry Stackhouse a lot of credit for that. And, and now it's going to be up to him to make sure that they can you know play a little bit better in the non-conference. But um, you know, it, it's the the coach's main job in college basketball is to, to build that roster and, and make sure your personnel is good. And I think, you know, in really tough circumstances this offseason, he's done a very good job. You got to imagine Jeff Goodman's thoughts right now. I mean, you know, about a month ago, I think <laughs> oh, it was. Buddy's he, in put hell. Out, he put out the losers, you know, winners and losers uh, of the portal era or the portal this season. And he had Vanderbilt. Uh, was, did they have Vanderbilt number one? Like biggest Probably. Loser? I mean, I think they were. Like, yeah. At that yeah, point, at that I think moment, they were. Yeah. yeah. But all of a sudden, 
Uh, it'll be interesting. To, maybe we should get Jeff Goodman on. Check out that. <laughs> check out his reaction. But Robbie, thanks again, man. Uh, this is a pleasure. And uh, good luck with your coverage this week for uh, Vanderbilt baseball down in Hoover. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Robbie, I thanks hate to keep you before you log off. I have to ask. I have to ask one football question. I have to. Yeah, shoot. Prince Prince Collie obviously takes the last available scholarship. Is there anything that you can share? Does Vanderbilt have any sort of plans to address the secondary? That's been going on in the chat and on Twitter and on the boards, as you know. Or are they probably just going to roll out with one of the young guys? I don't know for sure, honestly. Like, they're kind of running out of time. The only thing they could really do is move somebody off scholarship and use NIL to cover it. But I don't – I mean, I, I would have thought that they'd get – you know, somebody in there by now if they were going to do it. So I, my guess would be – my educated guess would be they're probably set. Or kicker. Yeah, well, they're not going to go scholarship there, but maybe they should. Hey, don't gonna... sleep on Brock Taylor. Don't sleep on Brock Taylor. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we don't – you know, you just don't know. He could be good. We don't know. There's still a lot to be – it's it's incredible. I feel like we're talking about the football team like it's a football season right now. But, uh, Robbie, thanks again, man. Take it easy. Thanks. Thanks, Robbie. That is – Robbie Weinstein from hashtag thanks, Robbie. hashtag thanks Robbie. I was trying to wait and make it like very, uh, you know, very appealing. Thanks Robbie. Just like, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Rob. <laughs> All right, guys. We, uh, I know we touched on a lot with uh, Joey and Robbie. And again, uh, thank you to both of them for taking the time. Hopefully you guys got a little bit of insight out of them. Um, anything else? I know we got to get to baseball. We got a lot of baseball to get to anything else on Tyron Lawrence, Prince Kali, uh, Tomas Komata. How do you pronounce that? I keep forgetting how to pronounce it. I'm going to call him the Greek freak. <laughs> Komateros. Tomas Komateros. Uh, anything else, guys, real quick before we go to baseball? Uh, with basketball, this is uh, – uh, and I don't know if we're ever going to lose this sort of uh, dialogue. Um, this is a tournament or bust season. Yep. If, if like, you haven't – if you haven't – like figure that out and like I don't like this is a tournament or bust season. It was mm-hmm. a tournament or bust season whenever all these guys were in the portal and you still had didn't have Tyron back. Now that Tyron is back, like there's no excuse. Mm-hmm. And and also I'll ask this question for you two guys. And and we're we're also monitoring the chat on Twitter. Please tap in, let us know your opinion about this because this is an everybody question. We're gonna go ahead and assume Tyron Lawrence is back. I mean, with the way the anchor impact fund is tweeted with what Robbie said what Joey said, basically what literally everybody has confirmed. Tyron Lawrence is a Vanderbilt Commodore. Go yeah. ahead. Blood bank guarantee. Where would you put this team in regards to talent for Jerry Stackhouse's tenure? Like where does this team rank in regards to his most, it might not even be most talented, but like maybe more, most complete team is a better way to put it. Oh, then I've, again, we there's a lot it, of it we don't know. Like we don't know Evan yeah. Taylor. We don't know. But the at this moment, at yeah. this it, moment, at this it has moment, to be his most talented roster. I, I mean, so this, this, what is it? He hasn't had a very, ta- but he hasn't had a very talented roster in the past. So I mean, last much. year, yeah, yeah that exactly. Is true. The floor is yeah, the yeah, floor the floor is pretty, is pretty low. low. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think it is that Trevor. You said this is a NCAA tournament or bust team. And that is completely confirmed by Tassos Comateros coming in as a fifth-year transfer big man. He's not going to be a program-builder guy. He's a one-year rental out of the transfer portal to fill a need, and he's going to fill that need. 
and then move on. So I, I think that, and and I hope I'm correct on that. I believe I'm correct. He's he's a one year rental type player, but I mean it, that all but confirms that Tyron is coming back. Just the trajectory of this roster, one remaining scholarship. I don't think they're going to be giving that to some random freshman, uh, a late commit in the class or anything. So I, I mean. Yes, yeah, somebody just said second most talented. What what would you guys say is the first most talented if this is the second most talented roster? Also, HMD saying final four bust yeah. Trevor. Stop big negative. Final four bust. Don't, don't let me drink the juice. Don't do not get me on my high horse. Uh let's see. Jay Will says definitely one through fifteen with the freshman. Uh, I think it has to be. Just, I mean, I just I just don't want to get too yes, excited because size it, size is still going to be a problem and it will rear its ugly head. This team will have issues. That backcourt makes me so excited. I, this team that's, is going to have problems. That backcourt that back is an NCAA Sweet 16 type of backcourt with Ezra mm-hmm. Magnone and Tyron Lawrence. Hey, I mean, guys, that, here, that's, I, I, we said this on Twitter too. I think this might be the most like talented backcourt Vanderbilt has had in my lifetime and people are like Jenkins and Tinsley is Ezra and maybe this is just recency bias is Ezra better than Brad Tinsley like would you well Tinsley was a shooter and you know he was he was more of a pass first guy so is Ezra though but Ezra Ezra I think he's obviously more dynamic Tinsley, Tinsley, yeah, Tinsley was. couldn't slash the way that Ezra yeah. can. I, yeah, I think Ezra makes more of an impact on the floor than Tinsley did because Tinsley, he wasn't real physical. You know, I mean, he was a good passer. He was a really smart player. He but obviously had the team, size on Ezra. Yeah, but that whole team under Stallings was, I'm not going to say soft, but they were more of a finesse shooter type. I think Stack is a different yeah. style. He's a physical defense first, you know, let's get out and run. Like, it, I... It's just it's hard to compare those backcourts, but early prediction: I think this might be the best backcourt in Vanderbilt history. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to overreact. I don't think it's, that's an overreaction. What Ezra guys, did guys, this guys, past the, season. Derek Byers and Shane Foster. But those those are different. Like I'm I'm talking point guard and shooting, like one and two. I understand point you can do recency guard. bias, but I mean Derek Byers and Shane Foster, I would consider the best. Back Wasn't court. Byers a, a was he a three? He was a point. He was a point Unless guard. Unless I'm wrong. I don't think Derek Byers. I, I thought don't that was think Alex, Derek Alex Gordon. I Alex think Gordon was the team, point guard. Mario Moore. But I mean, that that would, I would put that one up there above. No offense to Ezra Tyrant. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they yeah. can put up some incredible numbers. But so, right. we're, we're doing, I, I just keep like to rephrase it to, to put this back in our minds. We're getting very excited with the team that has gone to the NIT two years in a row. That used to be absolutely unacceptable, horrendous season for Vanderbilt basketball. And we're discussing, is this the best backcourt that Vanderbilt has ever had when the NCAA tournament for a long stretch was the standard with every backcourt that they had? It's why I hate the excuse from people that defend Bryce Drew's shitty coaching job when there are a lot of teams that have dealt with bad injuries. None of them went 0-18 in SEC play. It's kind of the same thing with this is – Yes, the standard of Vanderbilt basketball has lowered, but we have to kind of keep in mind that it's not like the last two years or Jerry Stackhouse's tenure has yielded any true success no, that's, compared that's, to the previous years of Vanderbilt basketball. That's exactly what HMD Sports Blog VU just said. We love Tinsley because we have good memories of those teams compared to now, right? Yeah. Those teams were winning, right? And they were doing will, a lot of winning. You could also make the argument that that particular Tinsley senior year team also underperformed. 
but yes yeah tdbiy too don't forget wade baldwin was a lottery mm. pick for a reason that's another good point Ooh, uh, that's a george great one. ezra best perimeter defender we've ever had i might agree with that i mean thinking back jermaine beal was a good defender mm-hmm. yeah. um gordon i remember he wasn't real big though i'd, I'd probably have to agree with that is um, Tyron Lawrence better on defense than John Jenkins is, though? Because I think it I sure think so. as hell is. Yes, Jenkins was not a defender. He was terrible. His, yeah. I mean, good God, his like freshman and sophomore year at Vanderbilt, he literally like might He's have a been liability. the worst defender. He, a liable, and that's putting it lightly. He yeah. was bad on defense. Yeah, Scott uh, uh, Greek Freak Axel, has one year. I was about to ask mm-hmm. that too. Is dude? Are they still doing COVID years? I told like I, I think I this past year was the last. Hoorah of COVID. I could be wrong though. I, I could I, I heard this, a lot. Or maybe this, this is year. the last year of COVID years because okay. he Tosas Tassos was on the San Diego Greek roster 2019, 2020. The Greek freak was on that roster. So I think right. this might be the last season with that extended year of eligibility. Yeah. Mark McNulty, if Ezra continues to improve on his three-point shooting, he will be very tough to stop. That's another good point. If Ezra can start shooting the rock, all of a sudden. You know, his game changes a lot, and, and the Vanderbilt team changes a lot. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's all of a sudden scary uh, for Tassos Vanderbilt. Tassos is a shooting big man, but this roster still, does it have enough shooting? Because that's been one of the key trademarks of all the great Vanderbilt basketball teams is having knockdown shooters, and I still don't know if this roster has the shooting capabilities that we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got guy, you have guys who can shoot, but you don't have guys that are just absolutely knockdown shooters. John Jenkins, Shane Foster. That's a good point, you, Will. Brad Tinsley at the point guard position. Stackhouse this team, has not had a knockdown shooter other no. than maybe Miles Studi. Maybe. And he was very inconsistent. Was very That's inconsistent. the closest thing that you've seen. Tyron Lawrence can shoot. I mean, for sure, Colin Smith can. But are those guys three-point shooters? I don't know. I, I still think that that, along with the size and rebounding, is going to be what kind of hampers this team in the upcoming That's season. A good, but I mean, Evan Taylor could be that guy. I think Hopefully. I was going to bring up Taylor. He could be that guy. He, he could be that guy, but there's nothing proven yet, right? There's nothing coming back that we saw yeah. from last year with a whole lot of confidence shooting-wise. Maybe you could say Tyron Lawrence, uh, but again, you know, he wasn't – that's not his primary – uh, game right he is a yeah. slasher grant green chimes in and says serious backcourt depth with Manion, lawrence taylor lewis and west that's that's a good point i mean yeah isaiah west and paul lewis are going to be called upon right i mean we saw this past year mm-hmm. you know how much paul lewis got on the court right and same with isaiah west say ezra goes down a few games is west that point guard is paul lewis that that point guard i mean that that's there's, there's still a lot of sorting that uh, Stack is going to have to do here. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, guys. We're getting a lot of comments here. I think uh, Paul Lewis. Paul Lewis, I think, is a guy that I that I missed out on. But he could be an X factor. Coming off yep. the bench, having a he very could. different play style than Ezra Mignon when it dictates. Well, you could, because that's, he showed a lot of signs late in the year. Well, but you could plug him in at the two as well and keep him and Ezra. I feel like we saw that a little bit towards the end of the season last year to where I really liked it when Paul Lewis and Ezra were on the court at the same time. I thought that was really fun to watch. I, yeah. I think that but Stack then again, is going to be a little, very small. He's going to be a little limited. He's going to be a little more limited this season with the combo of guards he's going to be able to use because you don't have the size 
of yeah. Liam Robbins in QMB and your third big man being the smallest of the three in Lee Dort, who is now going to be your biggest man on the entire roster. That's at six thing. foot nine. So I, I just want, I just Liam keep, I'm going to keep hitting on it. It's going to be annoying, but I promise when we're hitting the middle of SEC play during basketball season, we're going to be talking about the depth issues and size issues on this roster because Lee Dort is going to get in foul trouble. And then your backup post is either a true freshman or a power forward mm-hmm. uh, that's six foot seven, six foot eight. So that puts you in some limiting roles, especially when you're going to be facing some talented bigs in the SEC. The Pickology 101 on Twitter, Lewis, Ezra, and Lawrence will play a lot of key minutes together. Agree with that. I mean, th- those three guys right there, Ezra, Lawrence, and Lewis, I mean, th- they are going to have to really carry the load because of, like you said, Will, no Liam Robbins, right? No QMB. Your your, your only post guy right now is Lee Dort. And at 6'8", the Greek freak, is he really a post player? Like, like is he really going to go down there and beef up with SEC guys? No. So here's my opinion. I think Stack still has to go pick out a, a seven foot or vert, you know, around that. Maybe he doesn't have to be a freak athletic wise, but you've got to get another 6'10, 6'11 body that can bang in the post, right? Carter Lang is, what is he, 6'9? 6'9. So, I mean, this team, Will, you said it. We haven't talked about it a lot. I know everything's been positive with Tyron, and it is, it should be. But again, that there's still a missing piece, and it's post depth, right? I mean, and it's just going to be missing. Yeah, this and year. how many scholarship spots they got left? One, and it's mm-hmm. Tyrants. So there's your That's answer. It. This is the roster. I mean, it, someone, it's going to be. Do they dis- try different. to? Do they try to clear one more spot for a guy like that? Who knows? But I think there's still a missing piece, and, and they're always. I mean, look, it's it's college yeah. basketball. You know, this team, as fans, you want this team to look perfect in your eyes, right? You want this team to, you know, have no holes. Uh, but you're going into year five also uh, of Jerry Stackhouse. So, that, I mean, that's that's kind of where uh, where you go there. Uh, but, all right, all the news done for Tyron Lawrence. I'm tired, guys. Tyron Lawrence uh, is, of course, most likely coming back to Vanderbilt. Prince Colley, another guy that is committing, has already committed to Vanderbilt. And Tomas uh, Kam- Kamatus, I, I cannot Nailed it. pronounce the Greek his name. freak. That's I'm, just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna mentally make make his name Tassos. the Greek freak. Also, Tassos. before before we get to baseball, I don't know why, but I'm, I do know about why because we got a guy who's of Greece origin. Vanderbilt with a very storied history of having big men who are not from the United States. Yes, yeah. I, I immediately AJ thought of Ogilvy, a guy like Australia, AJ Ogilvy. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Chingang, um, mm-hmm. the Greek freak. Yeah. Will, we've I, got some responses uh, from you in the mm-hmm. chat. Uh, Grant Green says, size is overrated. All of Miami's Final Four team that played minutes was 6'8", six, 6'9", six, or less. Uh, Omir, Norchad Omir was 6'7". Um, college basketball is all about guard play, he says. Uh yeah, so I don't again, disagree. I, I, see what he's saying, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm not saying that that's going to prevent them from being what we want to see. I'm just saying that it will be a problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I think the biggest part is not that it's not just the size. You, if if everybody else was like Lee Dort or built like Lee Dort with that playing style, and they had three guys with that playing style, I would not be saying this. But Tassos, the Greek freak, that is not his style. Go and watch his tape. He's the 
stereotypical European big man stretch five. He's going to do good things. He reminds me a little bit of Steve Chingang in that way. Steve Chingang was like six foot nine, I think six foot eight, 240, 245. But he's a pick and pop guy. He's not a pick and roll guy. So we're going to really, really be testing that Jerry Stackhouse <laughs> being such a good X's and O's coach uh, when, whenever he rolls out. <laughs> I don't know what you're laughing at here. I think I know what he's laughing at. Um, heel J. Will. I miss those spaces with uh, J. Will. I wish it was basketball season. Um, future spaces idea from HMD Sports Blog. Just name off old random basketball players and talk about why you love them. <laughs> James oh, Siakam, baby. Rod Odom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rod. That's always one of the big one. randoms I like to throw out there. Kyle Fuller. Ooh, that Ooh. was a good one. Wasn't he going to come out with a book on like the dark side of Vanderbilt? What? Does anybody remember that? No way. What are you talking Somebody about? Somebody in the chat. Wasn't Kyle? It was Kyle Fuller was going to like write like a tell all book about Vanderbilt. Somebody in the <laughs> chat, please confirm. I'm 99% positive that was. Like, I, be the I, case. Don't, I don't remember hearing anything about that. <laughs> Ted Scooches was another one. Ted Scooches was my Scooches. first love. Ted Scooches. Billy McCaffrey, he was fun to watch. Shelby Motes. Shelby, That's I was going to say Shelby Motes. I guess Lance Goldburn, <laughs> all-time Ooh. nice guy, by the way. That's a good one. There's so many for Vandy basketball. Like, there are so many. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, Goldborn, uh, Darshawn McClelland was another guy. You guys remember oh, him? Oh, yes. Ooh. Nash says Willie Hutch Jones. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> I don't, do y'all know who that is? The memories are flooding back. Dan Cage. <laughs> Dan Cage. Man, this could be a whole <laughs> summer episode right now. H- okay. It's yes. Funny. Okay. HMD confirmed it. Yeah. I don't. He like. He did some like. I'm not gonna say it on pod, but like he like talked about doing some like really weird stuff. Yeah. He was gonna <laughs> write like a tell-all book. Wow. I'm gonna dig into but- this. You give me a rabbit hole to go down after this. We after will. We, we will have the spaces. Maybe Joe Duffy. Maybe before basketball season, with uh, going through. Uh, you didn't have to say Derek Ross Storm. Neltner. That's the one. Ross Neltner. There you go. We got a lot. A lot of these. But all right. We, let's get to baseball. To have, we need to have a, a spaces dedicated just to dissecting the Kyle Fuller tell-all book. <laughs> get him on the pod. I think some fans would be really interested in that, actually. Um, Okay, baseball. It's crazy we haven't talked to any baseball yet, and that was the biggest series win of the season. They they knock off the number two team in the country, the Arkansas Razorbacks. I was there the first two nights, Thursday and Friday night. Thursday was miserable. Friday night was magical. I mean, Friday night was was maybe the most fun I've ever had at Hawkins Field, no lie. I mean, I've been to postseason games, and that comeback was uh, was unbelievable. So Thursday, lost eight to two, allowed six unearned runs, and another bad start for Patrick Riley. Friday, of course, they won that game, eight run eighth inning, led by Troy Laniv's three run bomb, uh, six run comeback. That's the largest for Vandy since the eight run comeback against Ole Miss in the SEC championship in 2019. Another nugget from Aria Gerson there, I think. Uh, she said Vanderbilt put that out after Friday. And then Saturday, they, they sort of gritted their teeth and got it done. They won 7-6. to six. Ryan Ginther, I thought, pitched really well. He went four innings, five strikeouts. Uh, David Horn, Nick Maldonado closed it out. So, Trevor, I know you weren't there this weekend, uh, but mm-hmm. being there Friday for me, um, you know, you sort of watch that team. 
there there wasn't any quit. I, I mean, up until yeah. the eighth inning, like from from first inning to the eighth inning, I was like, this team, you know, they looked dead. I was looking into the dugout, like they they just, you know, didn't like didn't look like there was any momentum, any mm-hmm. any, you know, hope really. I, I mean, I, again, I, I'm was obviously overreacting, but again, it just it didn't feel like that eight run eighth inning was possible. But it yeah. was, and I think that said a lot about this team. Yeah, um, I was not there this weekend. This was actually the first uh, home series that I have not been at because I was so incredibly broken. Um, <laughs> am I back? You can bet your bottom dollar I'm back. Um, I do agree with Robbie, though, and we'll probably get into this, and then this will be another talking point for whenever regional start. I don't know if this is a college World Series team. It doesn't feel like it, but nonetheless, I don't want to take away from the good vibes of this weekend. Um, because I totally agree. This was the biggest series win all year, bar none. No questions about it. And, and that's and, and something that we've had that has really been a discussion as of as of late with this team, particular not particularly, but after that Tennessee series, it just it seems like they lost their juju, man. Like they lost their vibes. Like I, I mean, there was that one quote I forget who said it, but like whenever they came out for game two against Tennessee, like they looked in Vanderbilt's dugout and they were like, "Yeah, they're they're dead in the water." Yeah. Um, and so for Vanderbilt to get bludgeoned Friday or Thursday, get bludgeoned Thursday, and then continue to get bludgeoned on Friday and come back in the fashion that they did. Not with your and I, we would all love for it to have been RJ Shrek, Enrique Bradfield Jr., Maldo, guys to get back on track, but to have your guys come out of the dugout and Troy Leneve um and have big games. Shout out to TJ McKenzie was getting some good was getting yep. some good bats in this weekend. To have guys like that step up in the way that they did and sort of take the load off this normal Vanderbilt starting nine, I mean was huge. Mm-hmm. Um and to talk about the pitching, whenever your two guys are hurt, um, to go out there and and pitch it the way they did, um, which I hate to say pitch the way they did because it was actually kind of awful. It like wasn't good. Um, it was but to enough. have, yeah, to have like the fortitude to like just like like hold on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even whenever it's just not going good, you're like, okay, just like hold on. Um, that was huge. Um, that was huge. This is a big, big momentum boost for this team going into Hoover. We'll talk about Hoover a little bit. Will they carry that momentum into Hoover? I don't know. I don't know if this team really cares about Hoover. I'm going to be totally honest. I don't care about Hoover. Like I'll be watching, but like if Vanderbilt doesn't win a game, like I'm going to be honest, I don't care. Like I just care about the regionals right now. Um, I will say though, I think going into Hoover, I think it's a good, I think it's a very good spot to get to let some guys go in and sort of like not treat it like a scrimmage because it is postseason baseball and you want guys to to have their best stuff this time of year. But to sort of have some guys like Patrick Riley maybe use this as like a get back game for him, um, I think that could be huge. Yeah. Um that's really the only upside that I see to Hoover. Maybe some of the guys um, in the lineup getting some good ABs and maybe just building up that confidence. Um, But I don't really know if this team cares about winning an SEC tournament championship because I don't, but then again, I'm not on the team, but yeah, I mean to say that this was the series of the years an understatement. Yeah. Well, I I look at this series and think about the trust 
like Corbin's trust in a guy like Troy Laniv, TJ McKenzie. Those guys hadn't played really at all. And Laniv steps up and hits two home runs. TJ McKenzie hits a home run. Mm-hmm. I mean, Corbin, those decisions by Corbin, I mean, those were almost levels of magician. Like, I mean, that that was that was wizardry from Corbin. Nash said it uh, in the comments. Nash Sports, a uh, good comment there, said, the X Factor always seems to be the senior experienced baseball guys. Yes. In postseason mm-hmm. play, Laniv being a good example there. I tweeted out there was never a doubt, never a doubt at Vandy Boys. But I watched the entire Thursday loss and that performance, six earned, unearned runs, like you said, Billy. I watched the first seven innings of uh, Friday night's game and flipped it over to the Celtics game, who were all who were up 10 at the point that I flipped it to the Boston Celtics game. Um, flipped it to the Celtics. Celtics fell apart um, and flipped it back, and Vanderbilt had scored and come back, scored eight runs in an inning. Um, and that was just the perfect example of mine. That's what you get for cheering for Grant Williams. <laughs> you deserve it. They drafted Aaron well, That must have been too, the most so bittersweet sports moment for you ever. It was just bitter. It, once you put on that Boston Celtics green, it was I, I can look past a lot. I like I like Grant Williams being a shithead for my team until he fired up Jimmy Butler uh, and ruined the Celtics postseason chances because he, he decided to be a dickhead level the wrong Jimmy guy. Butler that I didn't think was possible. But dude, I I might just do a favor to this Vanderbilt baseball program and just stop watching because it, it's almost funny. Like I was like, it's over. Flipped it over. Missed every single exciting moment <laughs> of the game. And flipped it back to just see it end and, and see them. What an incredible comeback from Vanderbilt. So I might just not watch any more <laughs> baseball, and that'll be my gift to Vanderbilt Athletics. No, we need the Celtics to somehow come back and, and get you back invested so that you, to an extent, don't care. You, you know, you care about Vandy baseball, but you care about the Celtics more. So we need the Celtics to come back, Trev. <laughs> well, I watched, I watched over the Eastern Conference Finals, over the first half of that game, I watched the Vandy boys. I watched them do nothing. So you were locked in. I was locked in. And then I said, screw it. I'm just going to watch the Celtics. <laughs> Forget it. They're not coming back. I looked at the dugout and the shots and said the same thing you did. There's no energy. It's not happening tonight. This is a waste of time. Can't believe I didn't watch the Celtics. And bada bing, bada boom. It, it's, it's God looked down and he said, all right, Will's flipped it off. Time for the Vandy boys to get cooking. Time for them to start actually making contact with the damn baseball. That's the most Will Byram thing I've ever heard in my life. Like that's that's Will's fandom at its best. Drinking bush light. Is it time for but, Mike Baxter to go? That was no, such an abrupt, no. but I've been thinking about it. You don't think so? I just oh, I've never Billy. I've never been a type of guy to say fire Mike Baxter. I mean, yeah, I, I think their approaches could be improved, but at what point is that on the player? Like, I mean, the players in the box, like uh, how much it's like the Celtics thing. It's like the Celtics thing. Will. like, I get, they're probably going to fire you. what's his, what's his name? Muzola. Um, you know, their head coach. So, you know, if they lose this series, they're probably going to fire him. Right. But how much blame does he really deserve? And I'll Celtics fans probably think he deserves a lot of blame, just like Vanny fans with Baxter, but I've never been a guy to just hammer the coach when, you know, maybe the approach is wrong. Right now, I, I do think Mike Baxter, you know, like every coach might have his weaknesses, but I've never been a a fire Baxter type guy. I mean, look at this weekend, right? I know it was a long, it was a long time coming this season. You know, the last few weeks, they were not, they did not look like they did this past weekend, but mm-hmm. that's baseball. You know, you do go on stretches like that. I mean, their schedule, we talked about how brutal the schedule was with Florida um, and uh, in Alabama before, 
you know, I mean, there aren't a lot of SEC teams that could get out of those two road games in a row unscathed. Like, I mean, you're just, it's just not easy. And they almost won the Alabama series. So I don't know. I just, I've never been a fire Baxter guy. Uh, now, again, I, I just, I think this, this postseason will be huge for that. Like if, you know, if they get, if they don't get to Omaha and a lot of it is because of their approach at the plate, maybe I, I, I venture into that, that area, mm-hmm. but I just, I haven't seen it really cost them yet. I, I don't know. I could, could be, it could be disagreed with there. I know. If they did, if they dropped the Arkansas series and they weren't a top eight seed because of the bats, would you, how would that change your opinion? I would probably start to think a little bit because this is now we're just talking a, about hypotheticals, but yeah, this was just such a do or die series, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that they did get it done, like they beat the number two team in the country. It's like this team, they have, you know, will you say it all the time, that dog in them, right? They've got that bounce back. They've, they've got that, that fiber Tim Corman likes to talk about, um, you know, so, but again, you beat the number two team in the country without Holton and Owen. I mean, that's, that's loud, right? This team's at 37 and 17, you know, not a perfect finish, obviously, in the season, but a solid finish, 19-11 in the SEC. Their RPI is at 8. Their strength of schedule is at 8. They've got a 20-13 and 13 quad one record. I don't see how this team doesn't host, uh, you know, a, a top-eight national seed. Um, Trev, credit to guys like Laboki, Ginther, and Horn for stepping up yeah. in, in the pen back there. Um, the David Horn you know, game. Yeah. The, the was David, the David Horn, Horn game. Yeah, the David Horn past couple weeks, you know, we saw what he did against Louisville, and Corbin brought up he compared him to Will Kleinard. And, yeah, that's and it, what, I mean, you know what he was able to praise. do. Yeah, what he was able to do in the postseason. So again, I, I think this team deserves a national seed. Tim Corbin came out and said we can't control the selection, but you finish top four. I'm not lobbying, so to speak. Top four in this conference, you beat the number one team in this conference. You win 19 games. I mean, come on, that's a lot of baseball games to win inside the SEC. So Thomas I'll Schultz, go though. <laughs> that's that's a bit. There are questions. There are questions yeah. still. Um, I'll go around the room here real quick. I know we probably all have the same answer. Do we all agree Vanderbilt deserves a top eight national seed? Yes. Yes. I, say I think yes they too. deserve it. But do I'm they have more con- work to do to be a lock? Maybe my brain is just broken right now because like D1 baseball, baseball America. Um, like all these guys are like, yeah, they're like a top eight, but, and I think they will get it and I think they should, but there is like a little part of me that's like, oh, like what if they don't? Um, but then I, I think, think that's just, I think that's just me being an idiot also. <laughs> like I, they're going to get a top eight seed. That's just me being like pessimistic and like anxiety ridden. <laughs> I think winning the Arkansas series, like we talked huge. about it, how much is the committee factoring that in? I think the negative of losing two series in a row right after just in the minds of the committee, seeing Vanderbilt get dominated by Florida in the previous weekend and then losing at home, even though it was to the number two team, if that was to happen, they didn't have that comeback in game three of the series. Mm -hmm. I think I would be saying it's not locked up. They need to show more in Hoover. That would mean a little bit more. I think this weekend and that comeback locked it up. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm a little on the other side, Trevor. I'd be shocked if if they're not. National on Twitter, locked. yeah, six it's or done. seven, six or seven. What do you think? What do you think they? I'm thinking eight or seven. If they got in at six, I think I would be a little bit surprised. Well, the thing is, I think Vandy, I think Vandy might go ahead of Clemson. Like, say Vandy makes a run mm-hmm. in the SEC tournament and wins it, you know, um, yeah. and Clemson really struggles in the ACC tournament. 
I could see because Clemson right now has that six, yeah. Lock, you know, essentially locked up. But it, again, they, like these tournaments, I know people say they're not important, but if the polar opposite of what a team needs to happen doesn't happen, mm-hmm. you know, like like for Clemson, if they go zero and two, and then that, that Vanderbilt team who's a seven right now wins the SEC tournament, I, I think they'd probably yeah, jump Clemson. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think these tournaments are completely meaningless. Um, and Adam comes on here and says, I don't see the love for Coastal. They have like two quality wins all year, haven't played anyone. Yeah, Coastal, mm-hmm. I think Vanderbilt will no matter what be ahead of Coastal. Um, yeah. And I think they are right now, if I'm not mistaken, on most sites. So, yeah, th- that's 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 the debate, you know, per se right now. Is Vanderbilt mm-hmm. Has Vanderbilt locked up a top eight national seed? I don't know if I would say locked up. I think if they win one or two games in the SEC tournament, yes, they you know they have locked up, but they're you know you can be pretty sure, right? Corbin and the staff are probably like, yeah, we'll you know we're fine. Like like we'll we'll most likely be a top eight national seed. Um, injury report, very important stuff here. Corbin said they are optimistic that Hunter Owen could return for the SEC tournament this week, but Carter Holton will not be available in Hoover. So no Carter Holton. And Hoover, I think said, he's done for think, the season. I, I'm starting to lean that way as well. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel good, you know. I mean, I, I think as people that watch Vanderbilt, you know, every sport, every game, it just you get a feel. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Um, he said, "I don't think Holton will return anytime soon, at least not in the next week." And he said, "Of course, Owen, you know, I talked about Owen, but I asked this to Joe Healy, who is coming up on the podcast version, not yet on YouTube. We will have that interview posted soon." Um, but I asked this to Joe Healy. He does a great job covering SEC baseball for D1 Baseball. And you know, I said, can Vanderbilt make it to Omaha without Carter Holton? You know, d- d- does Vanderbilt need Carter Holton to, to get to Omaha? In my gut, you know, after the Arkansas series, you know, maybe that was just a blip in the radar. But, I mean, they found a way, guys, at home. Now, that means they need a super at home, which they'll probably get. So, I think it's a good question. But to you guys, is Carter Holton that important? Do they have to have him? To get to Hoover or to get to Omaha. I think I think they would have I, had to I've have the Carter, the Carter Holton that we saw at the first half of the season, not the post. Um, not the South Carolina and onward Carter Holton. I think even if you had that up Carter until that Holden, point. I don't, I don't like your your odds. If you have before the injury, Carter Holton, um, I I still don't think I would put this team at a lock just because the bats really scare me. But God, that pitching is good. If you have like a healthy, like on point Carter Holton, I mean, throwing lefties like that up there is really, really gonna yeah, and- do some lineups in. The and bats got, still scare me, though. You've got a Patrick Riley in your back pocket in the pen who pitches You can't better. have him start anymore. I totally no, I think no. he's a liability starting. Um, yes. I think if he starts if he starts for Carter, um, I don't want to go ahead and chalk that up as a loss, but like mentally, I like I'm gonna be like Vanderbilt has lost his ballgame. Mm-hmm. Well, do they need do they have to have Holton? To me, this team. I can't break it down as well as bas- as basketball or football. This team is going to all come down to the bats. I know that's kind of contradictory to how I've always talked about postseason play it's because a good it always point, seems though. like pitching, yeah. pitching is king when it comes to postseason play, like defense or whatever you want to say, the trenches in football and defense. But 
this team's bats have just been so up and down, so inconsistent. <clears throat> I mean, even the Arkansas series that we just watched that we're glowing about, that is the definition of inconsistent bats. bats. I mean, you saw it in game one. They couldn't do anything. The team was sloppy on the defensive side as well. And then they I have want to talk about one, the good, too. That was one good offensive inning in the second game. And then it's just the inconsistency. And in postseason play, we'll see how it works out. I don't think Carter Holton is the make or break, but obviously having a guy lefty to start that prevents Riley from having to take that starting role is going to be a benefit yeah. because I think yeah. that's bigger than anything is allowing Riley to for sure come out of the pen uh, and alongside Maldonado and be kind of locked down strikeout guys out of the pen. I want to hit on you what you just said, Will, about the bats, right? This is an offensive game now. Let's not kid ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is an offensive production era of college baseball, right? Everybody is just mashing the baseball. I don't know how many teams have hit over 100 home runs, but I think it's a, a decent – I mean, that, that's a lot, right? There's a lot of power bats. If Vanderbilt runs into a team, if, if a big power-hitting team comes into Nashville, I, I, I just – I don't like that matchup. I, I just – I just don't because at some point you can't keep up, right? If they, especially if they're getting runners on. So, Will, I, that's a great point about the bats. At some point, the bats just have to perform. Now, pitching is the other side of it, right? You can't have, you know, if you're hitting, you know, five, six home runs a game, you can't have, you know, who's a bad pitcher. Um, you know, you can't have Thomas Schultz. No offense to Schultz <laughs> or, you know, I, I, I'm not. I, I meant to say bad, you know, like major league pitcher for a comparison. Oh, but, uh, but Luis Sessa. <laughs> but yeah, somebody you can't send out little leaguers out there and I'm still sorry. win, right? You yeah. have to have, <laughs> you have to have some pitching, right, to a degree. But I think Will's right. If they hit well, if they hit like they did against Arkansas, and they get pitching that's just good enough, I think they can get to Omaha. I think they can. But another aspect of that is the defense. That the the middle of that infield cannot play like they did on Thursday night. What was Thank going on? You. The middle what of the, the infield is going looking on? sloppy as hell. Like they bad. brushed it up. They brushed it up Saturday. They Sunday, did, I think. yeah. But but Thursday, man, that that's what scares me a little bit, right? Yeah. Or, or is their mind in it all the way defensively in a super regional, right? Mm-hmm. With with an inexperienced RJ Austin, a guy like Jonathan Vastine who had who didn't play a ton last year. You know, I think that'll be a key as well. Davis Diaz is locked down at third, but that yeah, middle infield gold is, glove guy at third, yeah, yeah. That middle infield is so important, and you've seen Parker Nolan a few missed scoops at first where you could have an out there. Outs are so important as well. So, Trev, I, I know the defense wasn't great, but that's something that as a Vandy fan might scare me down the road. They did well, push it up, but well, too like. I totally agree. The middle infield is very, very suspect right now. And I don't want to keep harping on the poor guy, but like, talk about like bad on defense. Jack Bolger, and maybe like Ooh. the most, like the second, or maybe the first, like most important defensive position in baseball. Um, him not gunning guys out, stealing is going to equate to runs scored against Vanderbilt. That is, the more bases you steal and the more active you are on the base paths the more likely you are to score runs and runs win ball games. And if he can't throw guys out and if he can't make these defensive plays and, and also too, like he's costing Vanderbilt pitchers strikes. Like I know that framing is such like a huge part of baseball. Now um, he, he just can't frame pitches well. And his way of framing is like, He'll frame it, but then he like brings it in the middle. And like, even if it was like 
glimpsed the corner and should have been called a strike. Him being so like violent with the way he he mm-hmm. frames it makes the umpire think that that didn't clip the corner. So not even with him gunning guys out at second or on on third, but just just the way he receives pitches, yeah. man, like that can this, cost you runs. That can cost you ball games. Yeah, the staff I think is in a little bit of a conundrum with the catcher spot. Like Espinal is obviously better defensively, but uh-huh. Bolger has come up with big hits. Right, like he Saturday, has. He yeah. came up with a huge hit. So I think they're gonna keep the rotation going. You know, they've plugged Espinal in late in games defensively to lock down. I think that's a good, smart I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I like that a lot. The strategy catching-wise is going to be huge uh, down the stretch. We're running out of time here, though, boys. Real quick on the SEC tournament. Uh, Man, this is going to be beefy. Um, (laughs) SEC tournament starts this week. It's one of my favorite events. I I know you guys – I don't think you all have ever ever been down there, but Mm. um, I'm headed down there Thursday. I'll be there Thursday and Friday. It's just such a great atmosphere. I mean, everybody – down there, loves college baseball, and it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not really do or die, right? It, yeah. You're just watching good baseball. Vanderbilt will play Wednesday night at approximately 8 o'clock. It will not. I'm telling you now, it will not start at 8 o'clock. It will probably start closer to 9 o'clock. Like 9. There, yeah, there's games that go longer. It might rain. It probably it, the, the forecast looks good, though, uh, for Hoover. And I'm sure we've said that before going into Hoover. Um, but real quick here. They'll face either Auburn or Missouri. Uh, That's after the 430 game. And with a win, they'll either face number one seed Florida, number eight seed Kentucky, or number nine seed Alabama. Trev, I'll start with you. I think that sets up well. I think one of y'all tweeted about this. uh, Or maybe it was Robbie. I think Robbie came out and tweeted. He said, looking at the bracket, this sets up better for Vanderbilt than if they were at the top with LSU and Arkansas and Tennessee and teams like that. Um, I totally agree. What do you think of the draw, Trev, and – you know, with that Auburn-Missouri matchup, Missouri's going to be a desperate team. They're trying to fight for yeah. their tournament life. Auburn is a team that wants to host, and they're going to yeah. be fighting for wins. So no matter what, Vanderbilt's going to face a desperate team uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I, do, I totally agree with Robbie, though. I think that even though Vanderbilt got absolutely killed by Florida, I think this is a very favorable draw for them. And, like, I don't think they could just, like, goof around and like make it to the championship because like you said they're gonna have to face some desperate teams and then if you do make it you're probably gonna get matched up with florida uh Mm -hmm. who had your number in the regular season but i could i could see vanderbilt making a deep run like not playing their best ball um so wednesday night yeah i think wednesday night's a lock do we even know the the pitching probables no one knows. No, That's no what I was wondering. I, I've been trying to figure gonna, it out, and I can't. I don't think it's going to be either Owen or Futrell. Uh, I don't think so either. either. My gut tells me either Riley or Laboki, because you know you see you saw Laboki pitch well in relief, but again it was relief. It's so much harder to start. Maybe David Laboki starting interests me. You know that because my he's interest pit- peaked. He's pitched well down the stretch, and that's a fly ball park. That balls. I mean. That's a deep part, part. Yeah. right? So maybe Laboki, um, but Will, what do, you, what do you think of the draw? I know Trev likes it. I, I like it. Uh, it's better than the top. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to act like I can add anything to what you and you and Trevor said about the matchups. I hope that Missouri upset Auburn, upsets Auburn and we get to play 12 in the first matchup, but I've really got to pee. I'm trying to make it to the end and not get up. <laughs> But that's hey, all real, I've got. Real quick, I've got you've been killing those cores. We've been watching. Dude, it's been bush light. 
it's been oh, some bush lattes, but they are running through me. And boy, do I need real, to break real the quick, seal Will, right now. Before you go, though, Will, we had a comment here from Vandy for Life. Over under 925 a, a oh. p.m. start in Hoover. Over oh. under. Oh, that's a great line. Uh, I'm going to go under. I think we'll start before that. But okay. if there is a weather delay, then this doesn't count. Bets are avoided. We got to reset that over under line. <laughs> so I'm going to say it's going to start before then. But weather delay pending. Okay, Will's going under. Trev, what about you? I'm also going to go under. I think it will start closer to nine, but I think the pitch clock doesn't push it back that far. Good point. Good point. They're calling it the action clock. I think a lot of the <laughs> experts are now, but uh, speeds up the I action. Hate that. I don't like it either. I'll go That's under. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go under. The, first, the, the game before them starts at 430. So the, the deepest it'll go is like 730. Will's heading out. We're heading out as well. Coming up on the podcast version is Joe Healy from D1 Baseball. You've got to listen to this. We're talk, we talked a lot of Vandy, a lot of SEC tournament, and his pick to win the tournament, I think you'll like it. Coming up, Joe Healy from D1Baseball.com. You've been listening to the first portion of the door report. Stay with us, though. We're so back. We're so, so back, boys. So so the doors are back. So back. The doors are back. The masculine urge to say we're back at, right after saying it's over. In the, in the, in the midst of a, it's so over. My yes. undefeated human spirit found within me, the unbreakable. We're so back, boys. Let's go. <laughs> the doors are back. <laughs> That'll send us into the interview portion. So long, everybody. Stay tuned. Joe Healy from D1Baseball.com, also a part of, uh, well, the founder of SEC Extra, which has done phenomenal with uh, all the SEC baseball fans. So if you haven't subscribed, go and subscribe. That's the best SEC baseball content out there. Uh, Joe is headed to Hoover, uh, along with I think Mark Etheridge will uh, will be over there as well. So uh, they'll have a tandem uh, duo down there in Hoover. So uh, join them for uh, for the fun down there. I'll be down there. So looking forward to it. Joe, appreciate you taking the time. I want to start with Vanderbilt. They took two out of three from Arkansas over the weekend without both Carter Holton and Hunter Owen. W what did that tell you about this group? Because things were going downhill pretty quickly the past couple weeks. Yeah, there was there was kind of a feeling. I perceived there to be a feeling anyway that there was a a little bit of as Vanderbilt looked like they might be fading, especially with the injuries piling up. Collectively, there was a feeling of like, aha, we knew you weren't for real. Like we, you know, because <laughs> early in the season there was so much doubt about Vanderbilt, and um, then the offense got off to such a slow start in non-conference, and we, we kind of shoveled, as Mike Rooney has said on our podcast at D One Baseball a number of times, we shoveled dirt on them and walked away and kind of just let it go and. Then lo and behold, they, they figure some things out. And so I say all that to say, it kind of looked like maybe we were trending that way. And okay, you've had a nice year, but you, you really weren't, you know, one of the upper crust teams in the SEC. And then to fight back the way they did is incredibly impressive. It, it's frankly something that Arkansas normally does. Like that's very much a signature Arkansas thing to not really impress, to, to get behind, to kind of look dead in the water and then just come alive. And the big picture with Vanderbilt, I think, it shows something that that I had I had heard going into the season that I think has been validated, which is that look, this is not, especially on the offensive side, this is not the most talented Vanderbilt team that we've ever seen, right? There's no JJ Blade in this lineup. Um, you know, there's no Austin Martin in this lineup. But it's a 
more of a blue collar group. It's more of a stereotypical Tim Corbin type of Vanderbilt lineup. So sure, there might not be star power, although, you know, RJ Shrek's had a nice year and, you know, we can, we can, Enrique Bradfield, of course, is a is star, but I think you know what I mean, that it's just a, mm-hmm. it's a less talented group, but it's a group that's probably going to do a better job of maximizing what it has. And I think we, we saw that with, with what they did over right. the weekend, where it was a team that didn't quit. They fought back and, and, you know, it wasn't always pretty, but they got it done. It's amazing in baseball how quick the momentum can turn. And, and it felt like sometimes it feels like it can't possibly ever turn for a team. And it was almost like that's what this Vanderbilt team was in. They were in as bad of a rut as I think I've ever seen a Vanderbilt team uh, get into. And obviously a lot of fans were, you know, you know, saying this is the collapse of the program, but all of a sudden they get a win over Arkansas. The bats seemingly have woken up a little bit. Uh, RJ Shrek is still the only player hitting above 300, though. So I want to kind of get into that. In today's era of college basketball, uh, basketball, baseball, do you see Vandy's lack of, you know, ridiculous power? I mean, we see teams with five, six, seven guys hitting over 300, multiple guys hitting over, you know, 10 home runs. Do you see their lack of huge power as as a disadvantage heading into the postseason, or do you you still see them as a competitive team down the stretch? I think the answer is kind of yes to both. I, I do think it is a little bit of a disadvantage. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I think that's just the way the game is played right now, and you know Vanderbilt's done a nice job of of mitigating that. And it's it's depth on the mound as much as it's been strained this year. It's depth on the mound has allowed them to mitigate some of that just because when they, when they pitch well, they pitch as well as, as anybody in the country. The talent is certainly there, but yeah, I mean, if you don't have an offense that can, and I say the same thing about Kentucky, by the way, I mean, if you don't have an offense that, you know, can come back and we just, it's funny, I say this because Vanderbilt just came back from a huge deficit over the weekend, but <laughs> most times if you don't have an offense, that's going to be able to make up a, an early five to nothing deficit and do it comfortably it's going to be hard. It's it's going to be a tough road to hoe unless you're going to shut down the team the rest of the game. And um, so, yes, it is a disadvantage. However, I think a lot of what I like about this Vanderbilt club, you talk about the intangibles, you talk about the balance, right? There's not a lot of balanced clubs in the SEC this year. We've got a lot of mm-hmm. offense over pitching clubs and injuries are a part of that. So I want to be fair, but there aren't a lot of teams that have the balance of Vanderbilt where Vanderbilt's won games offensively. Vanderbilt has won games with the pitching staff, Vanderbilt has won ugly games. Vanderbilt has won games where it looks like a national title contender, right? They, they've kind of done it all. And I think that's as important as anything else, because I think what you see in the postseason, when the temperature gets ramped up, both literally and figuratively, um, when things get tense, when things get tight, the teams that kind of have one formula to win games sometimes can get derailed if it doesn't go their way. Vanderbilt's, right. I think, going to be a team that's going to, you know, okay, you know, Devin Fattrell didn't have it today. He wasn't locating. And, you know, because his stuff is what it is on days, he's not locating. He gets hit around. Okay. No big deal. Like we'll, we'll figure something else out. Uh, a lot of other teams, you know, aren't quite so good at being able to do that kind of thing. So to go back to your question, I think the answer is, is yes to both. It is a disadvantage, but I don't think it's a, a disadvantage that they can't overcome. On Sunday, Tim Corbin said Carter Holton quote, won't be back anytime soon, and that Hunter Owen could pitch in Hoover. So, obviously, we're heading into Hoover. Yes, it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter for Vanderbilt, but I think as 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 a Vanderbilt pitching staff, you might want to maybe throw Owen out there, throw a few more guys out there to see what they have. So, I ask you this, Joe, can Vandy get to Omaha without Carter Holton? Do, do you see that as a hill that, that they can't climb, or do you think this team potentially, without even without Carter, could find a way? I think so because the, the the deck is stacked against teams that host. And if, if Vanderbilt's top eight and I expect them to be based on the, you know, something 
really unprecedented would have to happen for them not to be a top eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't never say never because we've seen some wild stuff, but like they're they're a top eight. So if you take care of business, you're playing at home. Big advantage there. I don't need to tell that to you or your or your listeners. Probably, you know, Vanderbilt has mm-hmm. a, a knowledgeable baseball fan base. So th- I think that's that's item number one. Item number two is that once you get past regionals, frankly, you don't. Would they prefer to have Carter Holton? Absolutely. Who wouldn't, right? But once you get past them, or once once you get past regionals, I should say, you know, the super regional and the College World Series format is pretty forgiving for a pitching staff that you know, might not have uh, a lot of options, right? I mean, the, I think the the 2021 Vanderbilt club is a perfect example, right? There were so many questions about that team outside of rocker and lighter. And you know what? They rode mostly rocker and lighter to one game shy of a national title. Yep. Um, so, and now you could point to that as saying the reason they didn't win the national title. And I guess, okay, you know, maybe I'll grant you that point, but that's a pretty deep run to make. And so would you rather have them? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I'm, you didn't say it yourself, but I, I, I feel like anytime you hear not coming back anytime soon, I tend to be pretty pessimistic about that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, you know, and coach Corbin, obviously it tends to be a little more opaque than a lot of coaches around the league with injury stuff and as his, his, his right to be. So maybe we're misreading that, but, but to me, that doesn't sound, sound great. I think this club can make a run without it. It'll some, it'll be somewhat matchup dependent as all mm-hmm. postseason things are, but, but look, I don't, I don't, I'm not just sunshine pumping to, for the sake of it but I think the format is pretty kind to be in an arm short on the mound. So if, if, if Hunter Owens back and, and obviously Fatrell has been as good as he's been, and it seems like mm-hmm. the bullpen is shaping up a little bit for Vanderbilt right now, um, that, that could be enough, especially once you get past regionals. Yeah. That's why this weekend was so huge for them. I mean, you look back at the Arkansas weekend and now they hopefully, you know, secure a spot in that top eight national seed range. So obviously we'll see what Vanderbilt does, but, the SEC tournament starts Tuesday, Joe. It's one of my favorite events on the sports calendar. Just a perfect event. Great, great atmosphere, great area for it. What are you most excited to watch before you de- head down to Hoover? There are so many storylines. Is there a player? Is there a team? Is there a story? What are you most excited to watch before you head to Hoover? Yeah, I'm hoping to get, and you know, one of the things that's interesting about Hoover is is the way the pitching shakes out because it's such a quick turnaround. You know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, but then you turn around, you've got teams playing on on Tuesday. Um, but I, I, so on the player side, like I've not seen Paul Skeens with my own eyes this year. Um, you know, Mark has, uh, Kendall has, but I, I've not. So I'm excited to see that. And, and I, I put the asterisk there because LSU may not have a lot to play for in terms of national seed potential so if if they go oh and two to Skeens even take the mound right so fingers crossed there for me selfishly to, to see Paul Skeens in the big picture though I'm really fascinated by this hosting logjam in the SEC oh where gosh. there are nine there are nine viable host resumes um that if the season ended today there'd be nine teams on the board uh, in hosting and so you've got the obvious ones um, but then you've also got, you know, Auburn's got 17 SEC wins that usually get you there. I think Mark has crunched the numbers and I think every team that's won 17 regular season SEC games has hosted. So you feel pretty good about that. But then you've got, you know, three teams with 16 wins or maybe is it Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, four teams yep. with 16 regular season wins. And they all have pluses and minuses. It's like the, 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 you know, eating its own tail. Basically you can go round and round and round on which resume you prefer. So what that tells me is is two things. One, Hoover's going to be really important for those four teams. Um, and then secondarily, we're going to see something historic 
in the field of 64 from an SEC perspective. Now, they're not going to get more than 10 bids. The math isn't there for that. The record for number of hosts is seven, 2016. Could there be eight? I think that's on the board. Now, I don't think we'd see more than that because on some level, the, the, the committee's just not, probably not going to allow for that. But mm-hmm. um, I think I think eight could really be on, on the board. Or the other thing that could be historic about it is that we have some teams that in every other year, in every other field would be hosting, whether you look at RPI number, the SEC regular season wins, all of that stuff that would be hosts in every other year, but don't end up hosting this year. So one way or the other, I think we're going to get something unprecedented when the field is revealed on Memorial Day. Taking a look at the bracket, obviously the top LSU and Arkansas, the three and the two seed, and then Florida and Vanderbilt, the one and the four seed at the bottom. I mean, you talk about the log jam. There's so many opportunities for teams, I think, that can make potential runs. You look at a team like Alabama playing in their home state. Uh, you know, I know they got probably going to have to play Florida if they win, but I, I see Alabama as a potential team that can make a run. Uh, Texas A&M, they need it, right? They, they almost have to have uh, a couple wins here. So as you look at the entire bracket, and then Vanderbilt, right? I mean, you see them. They're probably going to meet up with either Auburn or Missouri, two desperate teams. So, you know, you would almost rather avoid – you know, Alabama or Auburn, but you've also got Texas A&M and South Carolina at the top who are also desperate for wins. So you look at the entire bracket, how do you size it up? And do you, you know, who would you pick to maybe make a run uh, in Hoover that, that desperately needs it? I think you, you nailed it at the beginning with that eight, nine game, Kentucky and Alabama. I think both teams, Kentucky's probably to me, Joe's opinion, the most compelling 16 win resume RPIs two, number one strength of schedule in the country. Uh, number nine non-conference strength of schedule, which is by far the high, the best in the SEC. Um, so a lot going for it. So I like their resume the most. They'd like to be a national seed though. Um, and by a lot of measures, they they have the metrics, right? So they're going to be pushing for something. That's a team that's really motivated. Alabama, obviously motivated. They're trying to get into the host discussion. And furthermore, I think because of everything that's gone on with Alabama this season, I think that's just a team that's kind of like, you know what, let's just play free and lose. Riding the wave. Like... Yeah. Exactly. And and those teams are extremely dangerous. And so I think that eight, nine is, is, is really, really fascinating. And the winner of that goes up against Florida and Florida is not really playing for much. And furthermore, you know, I, I coming back on Wednesday, I, you know, a lot of innings on Sprout and Waldrip and, and Caglione mm-hmm. this year, you might see a midweek guy against Florida I don't know how much they would really push. So the winner of that eight, nine game, look, Florida is a tough customer. Their offense is incredible. So like, I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. that that's an easy path, but with Florida being built the way they are avoiding some of those top arms and maybe they throw Sprode, I don't know on Wednesday, but you know, if they don't, you've got a chance to beat Florida because they do have some questions on the mound beyond those guys. So to me, that's where my eyes go first because there's a lot at stake yeah. in that eight nine game, and then I think Florida's in a situation where they, you know, they could kind of Cadillac it through the tournament a little bit. A lot of Vanderbilt fans, kind of back to Vanderbilt a little bit on that bottom side of the bracket, they look at that and say, "Wow, I, I think that might be an advantage for Vanderbilt as opposed to maybe getting the three seed or you know even the five or the six. You know, South Carolina, you got to play at nine thirty on Tuesday, and then if you win, you play LSU." So in Vanderbilt getting the four, I think that that that's the advantage there. So the bottom part of that bracket, Vanderbilt getting a potential Florida team and then maybe an Auburn later and then maybe an Alabama or Kentucky later. Do you think that bottom half of the bracket sets up a little bit easier for Vanderbilt if they were on the top or 
Uh, how do you kind of see that setup for, for the Commodores? I think, yes. I mean, it's never easy, though. <laughs> correct. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. That, that's the caveat, obviously, but but correct. I, I think you're right when you consider that on the top half, you've got, you know, A&M going to be super motivated, Tennessee, South Carolina, for the same reason. You've got the best offense in the country in LSU up there. Like that's, and then, of course, Arkansas, you know, just being as resilient as they are, like you coming off of getting beat in a series by them, you you probably wouldn't want to see them again. Um, you know, mm-hmm. with having just taken down Arkansas. So yeah, I think if you made me pick a side of the bracket, I'd go that direction. And also just in their first matchup, right? You're either going to get Missouri or Auburn. And those are two teams that are, are going to push for that win in the opening game. And those are two teams with questions on the mound. Missouri's is they've had so many injuries in the mound. Missouri has. And so if they throw Chandler Murphy in that first game, um, even if they win that game, there's a drop off after that. And they've only got a couple of bullpen guys they really, really trust. So y- you might, there's going to be an opportunity for Vanderbilt to score some runs if that's the matchup. Auburn has figured some things out on the mound, but you know, Christian Herberholtz has been uh, kind of in and out. He's he's nursing a, an injury. Uh, Tommy Vale was ill last week. He pitched a little bit in relief, but didn't make his start in his normal place. So maybe they're a little bit banged up on the mound and, and they're not deep to begin with on the mound. So yeah, I mean, if you're Vanderbilt, you're feeling like, hey, okay, we we can, you know, we're going to get a matchup that we at least feel is manageable. We're not going to have to do anything heroic to win that game, and and then from there, um, you know, you're, you're for Vanderbilt. I think at that point, you you kind of feel good about your week, almost regardless of what happens. You got the national seed. You didn't go zero and two. You you know, there's just certain things you kind of want to avoid, and getting off to that start against Auburn or Missouri would allow Vanderbilt to take those most negative scenarios off the table. I think you might be muted, Billy. I can't hear you. Oh, my bad. You got me? Yeah. Okay, my bad. All right, Joe, a couple more before we close it out here. Uh, we talk, t- talked about a national seed earlier, right, and how important that can be for a team, right? Vanderbilt, they they obviously knew the importance of getting a, nas- a national seed. Kentucky is fighting for one right now uh, as a top eight national seed. What kind of confidence, mojo, momentum can that give a team as opposed to simply being a host, right? You don't know where you might play if you win a regional, right? You could get lucky with a two seed winning out, but that, that typically doesn't happen. So how how special is that top eight seed for uh, especially a team like Vanderbilt who who is sort of on the bubble right now? I mean, you know, they're they're likely in, but, uh, you know, some things still might have to go their way for them to to, to secure that. It's huge. I mean, first of all, the math is on your side, and I don't have the numbers here, but I mean, just an overrepresentatively high percentage of teams that end up in Omaha came through home regionals and supers. So that that's the first thing. The data just backs up that you're in a lot better shape there. Mm-hmm. But you're also right with the certainty of it. You just know, as a top eight, if we take care of business, we're going to be home. We don't have to get on a bus. We don't have to get on a plane. We don't have to stay in a hotel. We don't have to eat catered meals. Like we, We're going to be at home, basically, and that's that's nice to have that have that certainty. Um, one of the other things when you're top eight is that the the second half of the host, nine through 16, you know, some of those teams like Notre Dame last year was a great example where that probably should have been a top eight seed, right? Yeah. So you do occasionally get a, a misseeded team. However, you also tend to get the mid-major team that's having a really good year, the Coastal Carolinas of the world. I don't want to take anything away from them. Very talented team, very consistent program, but they don't have the depth of an SEC team especially not on the mound. 
So that's a more favorable matchup. Georgia Southern last year, right? You know, if they come through, whoever faced them in a super regional, which which would have been, um, which would have been Tennessee as a number one seed, mm-hmm. um, you know that that was um, I should have said Notre Dame should have been a host last year, but I think you know yeah. what I know what I meant there. Yeah. Regard, regardless, <laughs> it's uh, hard to keep it up. But anyway, long story short is you know those 14, 15, 16 seeded hosts. Um, you never know what you're going to get with those teams. They're typically, right. you know, teams that had pretty bubbly cases. Um, you know, by definition, they're teams that are kind of ranked in the in the middle to the back end of the top 25, and things get softer than you think, quicker than you think when you talk about those teams. And so, you should get a pretty favorable matchup out of it. The dangerous thing is that you also sometimes get that force of nature team that's just riding like a really big hot streak. Ole Miss last year, right? Now that's a special case. They were super talented and just underperformed for a lot of the year. But you do get that team that maybe had to play its entire way through a conference tournament and then ended up in a regional as a two or three seed and they won on the road and they're just kind of have the wind at their back. And, and that can be kind of a dangerous team, but you'd obviously much rather just be playing at home and, and have that certainty. Joe, with the SEC tournament coming up, it's always interesting to see these SEC teams. They get out of the gauntlet and most of these coaches are probably like, whew, we're, we're, we're done. We're out of the SEC. You know, we enter regionals. We can take a little bit of a break and sort of relax a little bit. Uh, so do you see that as an advantage? You go through an entire SEC season. You go through the heat of Hoover, you know, with which is just a, a gauntlet as well. Do you? I mean, that's got to be an advantage as an SEC team, no matter where you are, whether you're a two seed, a three seed, a one seed, a host, you're out of the SEC. So how uh how relieving can that be do you think for a lot of these coaches and and players i think it is i mean i i've heard it said before that if you're at the sec tournament and playing for something it's one thing when you when you don't have a lot to play for you can kind of just play around with matchups and try to get some guys some innings and you know be casual about it but if if you're really playing for something in hoover that's tougher in a lot of ways than basically anything until you get to the college world series because the the yeah. the teams you're playing every day i mean the the you know, the, the ninth seeded team, the 10th seeded team in the SEC is going to be tougher than whatever four seed you get in a regional if you're a host and tougher mm-hmm. than a lot of your threes and perhaps even twos, right? So you get some softer spots in regionals than you do in, in the SEC tournament. And of course, Supers is, is a whole different deal, but Hoover's different in that it's a different team every single day, right? And at least in Supers, you can set it up like a series and you, and you know what you're facing two or three days in a row. So yeah, it's Hoover that might be the most grueling thing in the college baseball calendar until you get to Omaha. And even then, like, frankly, maybe you could make a case it's tougher because in Omaha you get days off in between games, you know? So yeah. I think there's probably an argument to be to be made either way, ultimately. I don't know if you've heard the joke, but the the, the champion of the SEC tournament deserves the same trophy as the national champion in Omaha just because it's it's just as hard because of the of the competition. But, Joe, real quick. Uh, give me your pick to win the SEC tournament and your pick for most outstanding player uh, of the tournament. Okay. Well, let me, so at most outstanding player of the tournament, like I'm just going to go with the super easy answer of, of Dylan Cruz, like <laughs> just an, inc- like, I don't know how I could go with anyone, but him with the type of incredible season. The only thing that might hold him back is just how much is LSU going to push its pitching staff to try to get mm-hmm. to the weekend, right? So if he's out on Friday, like he's not going to win that, right? But um, so I'll go, I'll go that direction as far as the the most outstanding player of the tournament, and as far as a pick goes, 
Uh, give me. You know what? Give me give me Vanderbilt. I'm not just doing that oh, as a homework thing. Um, wow, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just doing that as a uh, as I know your 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 listeners are doing fist pumps in their car, or actually they might be going like, oh god, there's the curse. We that's the last thing we need. But I think they, they're the right combination of a team that feels like they they feel, probably feel pretty good about a top eight as they should, but maybe feels a little bit like, hey, you know what? We we can't lose. We can't go zero and two here. Like, mm-hmm. because then at least then maybe we run the risk of being the number nine seed as opposed to a top eight. Right. So they've got something to play for. They've got some balance. Um, they're getting healthier on the mound, at least in the bullpen. They can win bullpen games. Right. I mean, I know he's been inconsistent, but it's such an ace in the hole to have a guy like Patrick Riley, where it's like, look, mm-hmm. it's a coin flip on if he's going to be good today, but if he's good, he's great. Right. Yep. And so that's kind of a, a card to play that a lot of teams just don't have a guy with big league stuff, big league frame, sure. Inconsistent, but you know what? You'll roll the dice on that. So, and he's not the only one who's kind of falls into that, that bucket. Right. So I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's kind of a, a grinder offense. I like that. They can score runs in a lot of different ways. You don't know how the ball is going to, is going to play. There's typically a decent amount of offense in, in Hoover, but I think when you're in a situation where pitching staffs are starting to get tapped the way they are, I think the advantages offensively tend to shrink where everyone's scoring a bunch of runs. And so what's the difference between the best offense and the the fifth or sixth best offense. So you kind of shake that all up in a bucket and understand that there's a lot of uncertainty. And I really do like where Vanderbilt's at. And I think in no small part to what they showed last weekend, where we started off this whole conversation. With that pick, this won't be uh, your last time coming on, Joe. We we may have to see you uh, closer to Omaha if Vanderbilt gets there. But uh, no, I think R.J. Shrek is another guy that might like that park. Uh, It feels like big power uh, right-handed, left-handed hitters uh, usually see some success in Hoover. uh, But uh, it'll be fun. This is the best time of year for SEC baseball fans, Joe. Real quick before we let you go, uh, give fans – this will release Tuesday morning. So just FYI, give fans uh, kind of – what you're going to be covering this week, you know, some maybe some story ideas and, and how they can follow you uh, this week before the SEC tournament. Yeah, I know. I appreciate the time and the opportunity. I'm happy to join you whenever. Um, listeners can can follow me. Uh, first of all, just Twitter handles me at Joe Healy D1. Uh, my colleague, Mark Etheridge, just at Mark Etheridge. And that last name is E-T-H-E-R-I-D-G-E. Old school listeners, old school Vanderbilt fans will probably remember Mark and probably already follow him because he's been covering the SEC for 20 some odd years mm-hmm. now at this point, which I, I try not to remind him that I was, I, I first started reading Mark when I was in like middle school, frankly, <laughs> um, something I, I try to be kind to Mark and, um, and, and remind, <laughs> not remind him of that too often. But um, yeah, so follow us on Twitter, uh, go to D one baseball.com, click the SEC extra tab for everything that we have going up. Mark is doing a little bit of double duty. He's going to be doing updates on how things stand on the field of 64 every day, basically, um, mm. we'll have coverage of perhaps not every last game of the sec tournament. Cause I gotta be honest with you, Billy, if we get those like two thirty AM finals, like it's one thing, if it's a semifinal, right? If it's a semifinal and the game ends at two 30, we'll be there. If it's the, you know, the first day of the tournament and the game is going until two 30, <laughs> we'll see y'all tomorrow. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't know if, you know, we, maybe it means we talk about or write about the next day or something, but um, but we'll have just about every game of the SEC tournament covered. We'll have specific game stories, but we're also going to do a lot of big picture stuff. So, you know, team unexpectedly goes 0-2. 
Um, you know, just to balance it out, since I picked Vanderbilt to win, let's say Vanderbilt goes 0-2. We'll, we'll have a piece on like, okay, what does this mean? You know, yeah. uh, like, are they in trouble as a top eight? Because a lot of that's also based on what everyone else has done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is West Virginia making a run to the Big 12 tournament? Could they sneak back into being a top eight? And does that push Vanderbilt out? Like that kind of stuff. So we'll have that periodically. We're also planning on recording a podcast. Our podcast is called Highway to Hoover. Find it on whatever podcast app you prefer. Great name, by Friday the way. morning. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we had to go with the alliteration, and then the play on the you know road to Omaha was just uh, too too it. easy to uh, to pass <laughs> up. But uh, we'll have a new episode, I believe, Friday morning. There's a gap in the schedule on Friday where we can probably get something recorded, um, just to kind of do a state of where things stand in the SEC tournament and, and what it means for the big picture. So, our entire goal for the weekend is to just send readers a and listeners a barrage of information all week and make it worth your while to subscribe to SEC Extra. So your listeners who are already subscribed, a genuine, sincere thank you. If you haven't yet subscribed, all we ask is that you give us a chance. And really, honestly, there's there's no better time than right now to do it with the postseason coming around. So even if it's just to sign up for a month to to follow us as the postseason goes, that that works for us. Hopefully we'll get you hooked. Yeah, every game, if you had something on every game, that would be 17 games. I think you knew that already. But that's a lot of games. Yeah, so. it's just, I, I told Mark, I was like, look, I mean, we're both coming. Normally, you know, God bless him. Normally, Kendall's there by himself, you know, uh, so we, we changed it up a little bit this year with, with Mark and I going, and we're going to do some load management. We're, we're definitely going to be doing, taking some taking some games off, do it, you know, one person gets to go to bed at a decent time every night. And then th- that same person doesn't have to then get up to be there for the nine 30 game the next morning. So we're, we're going to, we're going to try to take it easy on each other. Yeah. Well, Vanderbilt is slotted Wednesday night uh, at approximately eight o'clock. Uh, it never starts at eight that, that those late games never no, start never. on time. So hopefully there's I tell no you what, delay. though, the action rules have helped if there's yep. going to be a year, like knock on wood and I, I won't knock too loudly. So your listeners don't hear it, but the weather looks pretty good in Hoover this week. It does. It does. Like fingers this crossed, be... knock on wood. And then between that and the action rules, this might be the year that we get some stuff on time. Now, now that I say that, we're going to have something apocalyptic happen. But um, <laughs> this year, above all years, might be the year that things mostly stay on time. And that'd be great. Yeah. It, hopefully, it's the polar opposite of last year. I don't know if you that you were down there last year, but it was. Uh, it I was, was not, it was, but I was. Yeah. It was miserable. Well, I mean, it was good baseball, uh, but yeah. you just. There was a lot of waiting, a lot of sitting and waiting. So hopefully it's uh, it's different. I was this year, uh, but... I was covering the uh, yeah I was still at Baseball America last year and I was covering the Big Twelve tournament, uh, which is a Globe Life field in Arlington, and we had a roof and it was great. Oh, lucky! And you know, games started on time and it, oh man, it was it was quite a deal. But I There's... felt for anyone who was in Hoover. So. Yeah. There's something so pure about Hoover and that park about, yeah, it rains, but they're, they're going to find a way to get the games in and you know, it's on dirt, no turf. So it, that that's what I love about the tournament. And I'm, I'm glad that it's coming up next week starts Tuesday, 10 30, and it'll roll all the way through Sunday. So Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck uh, with your coverage and enjoy the trip. And uh, we'll be keeping track. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Happy to do any time, Billy. When you see me in Hoover, make sure to say hello. Will do. Will do. Thanks, Joe.